Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Tuesday, April 2nd, Election Day. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dukmasova, will join us. We welcome visiting scholar and former director of the Studs Terkel Archive, Tony Macaluso, and Benny J takes the deep dive with former Illinois Governor, Pat Quinn. And now your host. Oh, he voted. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Happy Election Day, one and all. We're calling this We Can Do Better Tuesday. And here's why. Had a great week. Did you have a good weekend? Yes, I did. It was very, uh, very relaxing. That's what I like to hear. I want you to chill out and, you know, take it easy. You've been running. Bu- All right, cool. I'm out of here. See ya. <laughs> take the day off. No, not till the uh, weekend do I want you to do. Let's oh. see. I watched a ton of basketball. Oh, nice. I'm very happy to report that Duke lost. Yes. Sorry about that. Uh, Michigan State beat Duke. Watched a lot of college basketball. Got an award. I want to give a shout out, a mighty shout out to the Nelson Algren Committee. Nelson Algren being, of course, the great Chicago novelist who died in 1981, uh, wrote Chicago City on the Make and The Man with the Golden Arm. And there's a committee of people who love uh, his work, and every year they celebrate his birthday. He'd be 110 years old. Did you bring the award to show everyone? You know, I was going to, and I forgot. I'm going to bring it tomorrow. It's it's at home. uh, uh, I can see where it is in the living room. I was in a hurry to get out of the house. Anyway, uh, they cited me for, quote, waiting in the muck without getting dirty. (laughs) That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, it was a great time. It was um, Mary Wisniewski from the Chicago Tribune who's written a, a biography of... No, we got to get Mary Wisniewski on this show. She knows more about Nelson Auger than anybody alive. Anyway, she gave a speech. There was foot. There was uh, f- uh, films, old films. I gave a little talk. So anyway, thank you one and all from the Nelson Auger Committee. It was a great honor. And then got down to business, boy. All right? <laughs> got election to cover. All right? Politics to talk about. And this brings me to what I want to talk about. So last night at bowling having a conversation with somebody. I'm just going to call him Bobby because I want to conceal hey, his, Bobby. his identity. We're not going to say who Bobby is. I like Bobby. All right? I like Bobby. So, you know, Bobby's like, like people come up to me because they know I'm a political geek. They always ask me, you know, like, who are you going to vote for? What do you think? Or who's going to, usually who do I think is going to win? Like, I know. So. What's a tiff? You know? <laughs> One more time, Ben. Could you explain that tiff thing again? So Bobby comes up to me and goes, I, does, I already voted. I voted early. Oh, that's good. Yeah, in the 47th Ward, I voted for Michael Negron over Matt Martin because, get ready for this, I am sick and tired of Matt Martin filling my mailbox with his campaign flyers. So I just cannot stand it, and I voted for Michael Negron. And I'm thinking, you know, 
I like to think I take a sophisticated approach to voting. I take it very serious. You know, I read all the great uh, pundits and reporters. My Duke Masova and, you know, Eric Zorn and, you know, the, the Tommy McNamee and Mary Tommy Mitchell. <laughs> I read them all, you know, and I, I listened to the candidates and I read their position papers. And old boy here, he just decided he was going to vote for Negron over Martin because Martin had filled his mailbox with too many flyers. Oh, I see why you're starting. Or are you calling him Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll call him Bobby McGee. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm like, that's weird. You sure do, Matt Martin? Oh, yeah, man, they were Matt Martin. Because the reality is that Negron's got more money than Martin in this runoff for 47th Ward Alderman. Follow me on this, everybody. Even if you don't live in Chicago, it gets into the psychology of Chicago voters. So Negron is financed by Mayor Rahm's uh, PAC. And Mayor Rahm's supporters got more money than Martin, and he is the one flooding the mailboxes with literature in the culminating days of the campaign. Why are you blaming Martin? And then it dawned on me, Dr. D., the flyers that were filling Bobby's mailbox were not Matt Martin flyers. Oh, no. They were being sent out by Michael Negron. They were attack flyers attacking Matt Martin. They had a picture of him. Here's the picture. I have it. State Exhibit A right here. Oh. And it says, Matt Martin is a flip-flopper who wants to squeeze Chicago's middle class dry. And there's a picture of Matt Martin that makes him look like a mugshot, like he belongs in Sing Sing or something. And so, oh, boy, Bobby... Me and Bobby McGee was blaming Matt Martin for the flyers that Michael Negron had sent out. Do you follow me, folks? That's even more complicated than a TIFF story. I'm like, dude, you punished the wrong guy. Uh, hubba, hubba. <laughs> hubba. His vote counts as much as mine. His vote counts as much as Maya's. Maya studies all the issues. She studies all the candidates. His votes counts as much as yours, Dr. D. Oh, God. Come on, folks. You know what? I told Bobby, you got to be listening to the Ben Jarofsky show every day. We break it down. We have analysis. <laughs> don't vote. I guess, I don't know. I've heard really dumb reasons for people voting why they vote the way they do. But this one may be the worst. He voted for Michael Negron uh, because he blamed Matt Martin for filling his mailbox with too many flyers. When, in fact, the flyers that were filling his mailbox were hit pieces sent out by Michael Negron. You punished the wrong guy. All right, we're going to do better from here on out, Chicago. Starting today with this great show. As Dennis said, Maya Dukmasova is sitting right there. She's eating it. She's fortifying herself. She got here early. Love it when guests come early. She's eating a salad that oh. looks delicious. Mm -mm -mm. And, for us. <laughs> yeah, she might have bought. She might have bought some lettuce for me and the doctor. Anyway, she's fortifying herself. She's coming on at 1.30. Uh, also here early, um, uh, Tony Macaluso, Macaluso, who is the archivist, or was the archivist of the, uh, the, at the um, Studs Terkel uh, collection. Fascinating stuff. Stud Terkel, of course, for you youngsters, a legendary Chicago journalist, a radio man, writer, and was a great interviewer. And folks, any kind of historical record about Chicago past... Uh, going back to like the 50s through the O's, uh, you want to you can find it in an inter with interview with Studs Terkel. So we're going to be talking about Chicago politics then and now, and some of the good nuggets that are um, uh, in the collection. And then at 2:30, the governor will be stopping by. Pat Quinn, the former governor, you know, D. 
the last time he was on the show, he was talking about his referendum that would limit Chicago to uh, Chicago's mayors to um, two terms. We've since had an election. The people decided, but the votes have been impounded by the Board of Election as the matter is adjudicated. So we'll get a. Uh, so for all we know, Tony uh, Preckwinkle or Roy Lightfoot, whoever wins today's election, will be limited by the voters of Chicago to two terms. We don't know. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Democracy in Chicago, the voters get to vote, but they impound the votes and don't count them. And then the voters, then we have this other voter who's voting because his mailbox, he's punishing the wrong guy for filling his mailbox with flyers. All right. So anyway, that's what we have on tap for today. A lot of political discussion, politics, politics, politics. But before we do any of that. The doctor has the news. Hey, guys, I'm Dennis. And hey, Bobby from Bowling, if you're still listening, hang in there. I know Ben just trashed you, but... I I concealed his name. Yeah, he concealed his name, all right? So, yeah, hopefully you're still with us. Hey, Bobby. All right, everybody, it's the middle of the day. (laughs) Coming up, we're going to unpack... We're going to be talking about... uh, It's election day, so we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. that, obviously. But before we get into that, big day ahead of us in the local news department, of course. Uh, Ben, we have a White House whistleblower. Yes, we do. Uh Uh-oh. As our president threatens to shut down the border... Wine like a weirdo about hurricane funding in Puerto Rico and flip-flop on ending the Affordable Care Act. By the way, on Monday night, he suddenly pushed for Obamacare replacement until after the 2020 uh, yeah. elections. Because he knows it's a loser. Yeah, you know. And a whistleblower uh, working in the Donald Trump White House and surprisingly still working in the Donald Trump White House has released some revealing information. Trisha Newbold is her name. She's a White House Secretary Advisor, and she told members of Congress during an interview with the House Oversight and Reform Committee last month that Donald Trump's administration overturned up to four, or up to 25 denials for security clearances, often ignoring the guidance of intelligence officials. Newbold has over a decade of experience with clearances, and according to a letter-slash-memo released by one Elijah Cummings, these individuals had a wide range of serious disqualifying issues involving foreign influence, conflicts of interest, concerning personal conduct, financial problems, drug use, and criminal conduct. Yes, indeed. Elijah Cummings, of course, is the uh, congressman from Maryland who's overseeing the investigation uh, into what should we call it, uh, clearance gate, security clearance gate at the White House, where uh, Donald Trump doesn't care about the backgrounds of the people he's giving clearance to. I find this fascinating at so many levels. On one hand, and boy, Maya can really talk about this, government is always limiting the amount of information they'll release to us, not just uh, the national government, but the local state government as well. They always limit the the amount of uh, information they will release to us, the people. Uh, because, like, We still don't even know, for instance, who the relative of uh, Justice Smollett was who contacted uh, Tina Chen, uh, who then contacted Kim Fox. So there's things that, you know, starting that whole ball going. So they always limit uh, information. But here in the White House, you know, they're supposedly protecting us when they limit the information. Uh, They're protecting the identity of various people who uh, have, you know, or their phone numbers or they're they're protecting, you know, like the, the, like proprietary information, whatever. They always have some reason for it. Here we have in the White, it turns out in the White House that the people that should be limited their access to this information uh, are getting open review of it just because Trump says let him have it you know so the whole process that's set up to protect uh, us from having people uh, see stuff they shouldn't see is out the window uh, in the White House but when it comes to releasing information to general people you know like Maya or Ben or Dennis or miles who just showed up uh, our uh, editor uh, oh no you can't see the information. 
you can't see it, but uh, our pals can see it. So my, I have a lot of uh, appreciation for Trisha Newbolt, a very gutsy uh, woman at the White House. She has um, served, I think, uh, for under three different presidents. She's been there for a while. She's a career uh, civil service employee. She testified against the Trump administration and then went to work. How about that for guts, D? You know what I mean? She, she's got a lot of guts. I mean, can you imagine? You know how Donald Trump treats people that he doesn't like. Can you imagine being at, in the workplace with him? So um, hats off to Trisha Newbolt. Uh, took a gutsy stand and I just once again exposes the utter hypocrisy of government where they limit the public's access to information and they just let their own whoever, whatever crony or pal in on the goodies. In other news nationally, holy crap, a lot has happened since Friday, Ben Jarofsky. We have a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate update, and yep, it's that one. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord. So last week we covered one of many 2020 election polls to come from election poll junkie Nate Silver and 538.com. The poll ranked our 16 2020 Democratic hopefuls looking to take down Trump. And number one on the poll, yeah, the guy who hasn't even officially announced, Grandpa Joe, <laughs> former Vice yeah. President Joe Biden. It'll be interesting to see where Biden ends up in the next poll. Uh, now, this could just be a coincidence, Ben. It could be a coincidence that the following news came shortly after this poll. It could be. Mm -hmm. yeah, it probably isn't. But could be. I mean. It isn't, but it could be. <laughs> Lucy Flores, a former Nevada State Assemblywoman, wrote an essay for The Cut in which she recalled the 2014 encounter in which Biden touched her shoulders, leaned in to smell her hair, and kissed the back of her head. In an interview on CNN, Flores said such behavior should be, quote, disqualifying for a presidential candidate. By the way, should be noted, Lucy Flores was a campaign surrogate for 2020 presidential candidate Bernie Sanders during his 2016 presidential run. Yes, indeed. Uh, and then since that, uh, Lucy uh, Flores' essay, which was Friday, was it? Yeah. It was Friday. I remember because immediately, uh, like, three different people sent it to me. Look at this! Because <laughs> we were talking about Grandpa Joe, all right? Grandpa Joe Biden. Uh, and since then, there's uh, another woman that's come forth. Amy I... Lapos, a Democratic aide. She told the Associated oh. Press that she was at a fundraiser in Hartford, Connecticut in 2009 when Biden, quote, wrapped both his hands around my face and pulled me in. I thought, oh, God, he's going to kiss me. Instead, he rubbed noses with me. She described him as a, quote, absolutely disrespectful of my personal boundaries. Yes, uh, that thank you. You stole the uh, the idea that was right in my head. I remember seeing, uh, I, but I didn't remember her name. So uh, thank you for doing that, D. Um, yes, apparently Joe Biden has what I might say uh, are issues with personal boundaries and space. And I've known types of people like that. Uh, type of, it's a gener I don't even know if I. You know, I was saying to Maya before the show, it's a generational thing. But now I'm thinking about it. There's a lot of guys of all kinds of generations just got that kind of like boundary issues you know like cross that line and it just it's, it's okay dude you know just back off you know uh and but when it's the case like sometimes they're really friendly they do it with a smile i guess grandpa joe did it with a smile so it's easy just to you know what you, you feel like eh, maybe i shouldn't complain he seems nice but i don't like him touching me or kissing me or etc and uh yeah there are a lot of people with boundary issues men and women i should say a lot of a lot of people just come right up to when they see you right away and give you a big hug and a kiss and it's like you know can we just like shake hands and just talk for a while well, it's funny you say that nancy pelosi has weighed in on the allegations against joe biden she gave advice to biden during a speech today pelosi uh, said to biden quote 
Yeah, don't be so touchy feely. <laughs> Keep your handshakes at arm's length <laughs> and pretend uh, that you have a cold. And I have a cold. That's what she said. Did she said that? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I like Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a lot of heat from my lefty friends, but I like Nancy Pelosi. David Fair is coming on the show, uh, I think it's later this week. He's going to be ripping Nancy Pelosi from one <laughs> end to the other. But I like Nancy Pelosi. And it looks like a handful of his maybe 2020 presidential opponents. Once again, he's yet to announce he's running. But a handful of his potential 2020 presidential opponents weighed in on the allegations. First up, here's Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. I read the, the uh, op-ed last night, I believe. Lucy Flores. And Joe Biden needs to give an answer. And here's former Obama cabinet member Julian Castro. I believe um, Lucy Flores. Uh, I believe that uh, the vice president put a statement out today. He's going to decide whether he's going to run or not. And then the American people, if he does, will decide you know, whether they support him or not. That, you can't argue with that. He's going to He's going to decide whether he wants to run and the American people to decide whether they want to vote for him. Yep. You know, you got to know when to hold him. Okay. Hey, that's, yeah, that, that, that's about that's a, That's a guy talking who doesn't quite know what to say. So he's going to say something uh -huh. and then, well, I said something. Now I can move on and talk about the Cubs. <laughs> All right. Team Joe Biden pushed back on the allegations of sexual misconduct Monday by blaming right wing trolls saying, quote, these smears and forgeries have existed in the dark recesses of the Internet for a while. And to this day, right wing trolls and others continue to exploit them. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got a point uh, that there are right wing trolls who are losing their mind right now trying to uh, besmirch his reputation. On the other hand, uh, Lucy Flores is not a right wing troll and uh, her account uh, is pretty credible. It just looks as though Joe Biden has an issue with crossing those lines. So will it be enough to uh, keep him from being the, no the nominee? First of all, he hasn't even announced that he is going right. to run. So let's just get that point out there. Uh, you know, I do not know that. It may be enough to keep him out of the race. You know, he may say, you know what, I'm seven. When, how old is he, 77? Yeah, close enough. You know, old. I, <laughs> I just have always appreciate the role he played uh, in the um, uh, Obama years when he, in the debates, first against Sarah Palin and then the the young pup for 10 trivia points. Remember who it was? No. The running mate in um, 2012? No? For I forget who? already? For who? Uh, for the Republicans. Mitt oh. Romney was... Oh, you've asked me this on the show already. Oh, Paul I, Ryan. Oh, very good. Did you get it right the first time? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Come on, man. Get with it, I got. You know what? My memory's not what it used to be because Maya's not giving those memory fortifying salad. She's not sharing that with me. It's Maya's fault. She's like a right wing troll. Oh, okay. <laughs> Man, that salad does look good. But anyway, um, yeah, so I appreciate the role he played uh, uh, in, in those debates. Although, if you go back and look at here, I am a tangent with it, a tangent. You go back and look at that 2008 debate. Oh man, it's time changed. I talked about this before, D, as well. Um, he came out strong against gay marriage. Joe Biden did. He goes, under a Barack Obama presidency where there won't be no gay marriage uh, in this country. And it was like his way. They sent him out to deliver that message to sort of reassure mainstream America. Well, we're not going too fast. 
So uh, he's not a perfect man. I am not a perfect person, but he does have those issues. Come on, Grandpa. Just back off, all right? Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories. Hey, hey eyes off the salad. <laughs> Come on. That, that salad looks good. Know your like, salad space. I, I think there's, what's that, red, radish or something? Cabbage. That's cabbage. And Dang. Tell you what, that Maya knows how to make a salad. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories, minus the salad one, <laughs> as today's program rolls along. Benny J, it's election day, buddy. Uh-huh. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? I was born ready. I love that answer, because coming up after the break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. I cannot wait. It's the time of day where the doctor plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. It is indeed the Ben Jarofsky Show. By the way, I have pens. There's always a shortage of pens around here. just want to announce to the world that I went on the way to work today. Oh. I bought pens. So if you need a pen, Maya needs a pen, interrupting that salad yeah, with Writing a pen. utensil pen. P-E-N. There we go. As this. I'll show it to the cameras. Yeah, show those. Listen and uh, Miles, you want a pen? I got pens. All right. So, you know, there was a pen shortage uh, at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah. <laughs> Today's Ben Jarofsky show brought to you by Salad and Pens. <laughs> yeah. So, got pens. You need a pen? Come on down. I'll get you a Why pen. Why are we talking about pens? We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Right. And the magic number is zero. Oh, yeah. That's right. Because today is the 2019 Chicago runoff elections, and tonight Chicago will elect its first African American female mayor. Mm-hmm. Who will it be? Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle or the former prosecutor and former Chicago Police Board President Lori Lightfoot? Oh, the anticipation! <laughs> anticipation! Please stop singing. Oh, sorry. Go back to talking about pens. <laughs> By the way, we asked all of you on uh-huh. both our Facebook and Twitter pages some questions about your voting experience today or your early voting experience. At Benny J Show is where you can find us. Any suspicious ballot behavior where you voted? How was the turnout where you voted? And of course, who did you vote for? Mm-hmm. Feel free to leave us your comments and please weigh in on more than the mayor's race if you'd like. 
Who'd you vote for for treasurer? How about Alderman? Once again, that's at Benny J Show. We will be reading your post at the top of the second hour. All right, Ben Jarofsky, before we get engulfed by runoff election fever here, we have to talk about yesterday's Kim Fox protest. I'm saying Fox must go, for those mm-hmm. who didn't know. Uh, the following comes from Stefano Esposito and Rachel Hinton of the Chicago Sun-Times. The Chicago Fraternal Order of Police rallied outside Kim Fox's downtown office, clashing with a counter-protest in support of Kim Fox. The union representing the city's rank-and-file officers is upset, and they may have officially gotten too upset, if you ask me, Ben, uh, that the state's attorney, Kim Fox's office, dropped all 16 charges last week against Empire actor Jesse Smollett, who was accused of staging a hate crime attack against himself. The confrontation escalated between the two groups when community activist Jamal Green and former Chicago mayoral candidate Jamal Green approached 38th Ward Alderman and, yes, former guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, Nick Spazzato, who sat in a wheelchair holding up a We Support the Police placard. We're going to go ahead and play a little bit of that right now. And hold on. We will not be intimidated. This is not how we do elected officials. We will not be intimidated. You leave the activism on, you leave the activism on the FOP and everybody on the streets. You get in there and do some work, man. I work my ass off every day. But what are you doing out here? Shame on you. Why are you out here, Why are you out here man? Shame on you. Why are you out here? Shame on you. Spazzato for mayor, baby. He's out here for justice. Spazzato going to lose his seat. All right, there are a few more videos from Jamal Green at the protest, including one of a guy saying Laquan McDonald should have been shot more than 16 times. We're not going to play those. It's posted on Jamal Green's Twitter page, at J-A-Y-M-A-L Green. Go check them out if you're interested. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, Nick Spazzato is uh, doubling down. He said he, when he was on the show, uh, he supports the police, and he supports the Fraternal Order Police, and um, uh, he's been very critical of Kim Fox. I, even before uh, Justice Smollett, so I'm not at all surprised uh, that he would be there uh, uh, defending the, the Fraternal Order Police, joining the Fraternal Order Police to protest against um, Kim Fox. And I'm, of course, I'm not. Jamal Green's interesting. Jamal Green uh, was very much a front lines activist in the early days of Laquan McDonald. He was the guy who would go out to many, there were many uh, protests in like what, 2015, 2016, my, where uh, Jamal Green would be in, on the front lines, directly face to face with police officers kind of hit and then he would be one of the guys uh, protesting outside of Rahm's house if you recall in those very cold months of January of 2016 when this movement was really taking shape uh, and then when he ran for mayor he kind of retreated from the public protests and became more, more of a like a mainstream Im- image and uh, having I didn't even make the ballot uh, he was knocked off by your good friend Ricky Hendon on behalf of Willie Wilson so now he's going back uh, to the public protest. I would love to have a debate in the studio. Nick Spasato in that seat, J. Maul Green in that seat. Uh, so I'm reaching out to both of them. They've both been guests on my show. I've known them both. J. Maul Green, uh, Nick Spasato, debate the issues. I personally feel that uh, this issue is so easily exploited by the far right and by the Trump crowd uh, to just undercut... What I consider to be the obvious uh, racial overtones to Donald Trump and the way he tries to play one American against another American and exploit uh, just prejudices and fears, et cetera, et cetera. And this plays right into Trump's hands. And uh, I wish 
uh, I, well, Maya told me something. We'll get to this when she comes on. I did not know this. Uh, she said there were some white supremacists from Indiana uh, in that crowd. So see what I'm saying? You're playing with fire, and you got to really watch, in my humble opinion, um, you know, so who your allies are in this struggle. Like I said, uh, there are more videos on Jamal Green's Twitter page. Go check them out, J-A-Y-M-A-L-G-R-E-E-N. No E at the end, just regular green, like the color. Go check them out. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody, it's Election Day, and we need to talk about the mayor's race. Our mayoral candidates spent the final hours and days of their campaigns touring the neighborhoods. Both Lightfoot and Preckwinkle chose to spare the glorified rallies and speeches. Instead, they decided... Oh, it's handshaking and baby kissing time. <laughs> That's right. Lightfoot's weekend neighborhood tour included stops in Lakeview, the northwest side, the southeast side, and far south side neighborhoods like Roseland and Beverly. Although polls are showing a victory, the Lightfoot campaign is keeping their foot on the gas. Here's State Rep Robin Kelly. She joined Lightfoot. Congresswoman. Oh, oh Congresswoman. I knew I was going to get that wrong. She joined Lightfoot on her neighborhood tour this weekend saying, quote, I don't care what the polls say. We cannot leave a stone unturned. We have to do everything we can do. We have to run like we are behind. Don't take anything for granted. Yeah, well, I I agree. You know, you, polls are not the, the polls don't vote. So uh, absolutely, that's just fundamental. You got to uh, run to the very end. And um, I don't know, people. Maya said, "Don't get into the prediction game." So I'm not going to get into the prediction game. Um, but uh, I'm going to resist predicting something, okay? So I'll resist it. Though. Just I have a sense of where this election's going. I've had that sense for about three weeks now. Now, as for Tony Preckwinkle, Preckwinkle spent most of her weekend neighborhood tour on the south and west sides of the city. She also made visits to Little Village and Humboldt Park with no time really spent on the north side of Chicago. Yeah, well, I guess uh, she's figured out that the north side of it's so ironic the north side of chicago was very uh favorable to tony preckwinkle in 2010 when she ran for cook county board president in the democratic primary against todd stroger and i think there were three other candidates in that race or maybe two other i can't remember at the moment and uh in many ways you could say that was her base that base has turned against her in this uh, election the north side went strong for Lori lightfoot in round one and it's clear it's still going strong for if you go around the north side you'll see lightfoot signs uh, absolutely everywhere and i think um there's a sense on the north side of chicago that anybody in this election with strong ties and connections to uh ed burke and Danny Solis and Joe Berrios is going to get punished. It's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. Although you could argue that the policies of Ed Burke, Joe Berrios, and Danny Solis have mostly benefited people on the North. You can make that argument, Maya. So you, I could make the argument that people on the North side are voting against their self-interest and people on the South side are voting against their self. I can make the argument that up is down and down is up in the city of Chicago. In fact, I make that argument all the time. So anyway, uh, I'm not surprised that Tony Preckwinkle uh, is uh, avoiding the North Side. Uh, we have an interesting story to tell about Lori Lightfoot uh, avoiding a certain constituency, and Maya will be talking about that in a little while. So everybody's ducking and dodging and, and just trying to figure out where, I guess, their time is best spent as we come down the stretch. Well, shout out to live streamer Odessa. She puts, I love pins. Can't get enough pins. Okay, no pin talk. Look what you started, babe. Hey, man, look at this nice pen. 
pen I got here. You sure you don't need one? All right, Pen Jarofsky. Let's move on. Oh, I like, you like that, right? You get it? <laughs> He's got a million of them, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Preckwinkle's top allies kept encouraging voters to focus, voters, focus, and not pay attention to all the Lightfoot endorsements and poll talk and keep their eye on turning out in big numbers. Here's Westside Alderman Jason Irvin. Quote, it's not the numbers that you see in those polls. It's the heart of the people that we have to know and be concerned in working with. Mm, the heart of the people. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, and Ben, before we go any further Sorry. here, from start to finish, yeah. what are your overall thoughts on the campaigns ran by our two mayoral candidates? Oh my God, are we talking about this with Maya? Um, I've not been uh, impressed with this uh, campaign. Uh, I'm not. Well, as I started off by saying, it's uh, I've not been impressed uh, in general by the tone and tenor of any of the campaigns that have come out, and I can talk uh, on and on about this in regards to. We can talk about this in the treasurer's race. We can talk about this in my own aldermanic race in the 47th ward. Um, it seems as though Chicago is devoid of ideas. I talked. I said this last week. I'll say it again. Uh, people, the candidates who run for office are afraid of putting ideas out there because they don't want those ideas to be turned into attack ads. And so they just run on platitudes. Uh, they run on attacking the other, these ad hominem attacks against each other that uh, serve really no purpose, distort uh, and uh, demonize their opposition. And uh, so I don't think this has been a healthy time, a particularly healthy time for democracy in the city of Chicago. All right, we do have some early voting numbers to discuss as well, but we're just going to put a pause on it right there because just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago. And now you will have an answer. The next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Right, let me tell you something. What? I want to tell you something that uh, Bobby at Bowling thinks. Oh, hey, Bobby. Something that, that is your real name. <laughs> it's not really his name. I'm concealing that fact information bobby dylan one of your favorite singers oh that's sarcasm and me and bobby mcgee they all agree you did a great job give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash maya has finished her salad she's ready to talk politics we're going to bring her on right after this didn't save any for you no (laughs) if you would like to advertise with the ben jarofsky show And who wouldn't contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp at C-O-R-P as in Paul dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, I will take it away. I Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Turn the things over to my, Maya Dukmasova from the Chicago Reader, my beloved Chicago Reader. Every Tuesday she comes here. It's one of the most popular features on the show. You know, the ratings When are you going to say my name right, Ben? I know. Now, you were saying it right. Now, I was saying it wrong. Now, I'm saying it right. And you're saying it wrong. Dukmasova. 
What did I say? Duke Masova. I like Duke Masova. Go, Ben. You should appreciate it. It's a Russian name. Come on, Javorsky. <laughs> what is what is my good friend Sukarza call me? Javorsky. Javorsky. Ben Javorsky. Half the, the office calls you that too, man. Yeah, I know. Half the world calls me that. It's all good. Look. Did you see this milk carton? Yeah, we need that for the reader oh, office. Excellent podcast Often wondering content. where you are. Uh, well, you know where I am from <laughs> one to three every day. There's no doubt about that. All right, Maya, let's get down to business. Uh, first of all, let's do some self-promotion. All right, uh, let's Maya, do it. Maya's my partner. <laughs> for our empi- growing media empire. <laughs> it's growing as we speak. Uh, so everybody knows our, hopefully by now, uh, our podcast Backroom Deal. So we are having a Backroom Deal live show and election party tonight. The Chicago Reader team has teamed up with WLPN Lumpen Radio and Mars Brewing, and we'll be having a big party at the Mars Tap Room in Bridgeport. M-A-R-Z, correct. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can join us starting at six o'clock. We'll be uh, the event will be going on six to nine. We'll be on stage discussing the election results as they roll in. We'll have some special guests, including um, uh, um, uh, sorry, Mario Smith from from uh, from Lumpen Radio. We'll Mm -hmm. have um, your friend and uh, noted political operative Adolfo Mondragon. El Dragon. And uh, we'll have uh, Ellen Mayer and Steph Scora from the Girl, I Guess, Progressive Voter Guide joining us as well. Mm-hmm. We'll have an amazing DJ there, uh, Sadie Woods, and it'll be a really good time. Come drink some beer, come have some food, and the event is free. So we're really hoping a lot of folks will turn out tonight. Absolutely. Hope you turn After out. voting. After voting. And... Uh, I hate to, I probably shouldn't say this, but even if you don't show up, uh, you can't make it for whatever reason. It'll be uh, live streamed. Live streamed. That's Thank right. You. On our on the Chicago Reader Facebook page, you'll be able to catch the live stream. Very good. Uh, so yes, yeah, so we're going to have a lot of fun talking politics in the city of Chicago. All right, before we uh, take the deep dive on local politics, I said this on the air while you were uh, enjoying that delicious looking salad. Particularly love the cabbage leaves that were in the salad. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I said, what is your opinion about Grandpa Joe Biden and his, quote unquote, antics in regards to the way he treats women, that boundary, that space that I was getting at? So uh, what are your thoughts on that one, Maya? I mean, my thoughts are not all that interesting or sophisticated. I mean, it's gross and unacceptable. I mean, having been on the receiving end of like not wanted touching from older men or men in general or really anybody i've been on the receiving end of it from older women as well it's uh not not any better well it's it's not as bad but the point is that don't touch people you know i'm from russia originally and when i came to this country when i was nine years old i i came into the fourth grade and i we like didn't have any concept of personal space and i was constantly being told to keep my hands to myself and i was constantly getting in trouble because i was like touching people too much and because like in russian schools uh like people like kids are very it's everything's very regimented so you like sit very quietly and silently during class and you don't like you don't really have any opportunity to be like freely interacting with other kids during school hours which is not the case in America when there's like a lot of kind of free flow in the classroom so I think it just all totally blew my mind and I was having so much fun and it was like so great to be surrounded by so many new kids and I yeah I was touching people way too much don't be like nine-year-old Maya (laughs) or Joe Biden keep your hands to yourself you you know where they're especially if you're a man I I gotta tell you this there were kids uh and I've done a lot of coaching over the years there were kids who always would come up and hug you you know what I'm saying they were just they just had this impulse to hug you and I was just always like, all right, there's, you know, there's that 
we got to keep that wall here. So don't touch people. Don't touch people unless they want to be touched. Uh, somewhere in the, I got a feeling in the back of the mind, uh, like the guy who's doing the touching in that moment is thinking, is hoping that it may lead to something else. If you yeah, and I don't know this. The way that this whole incident was described by this uh, state legislator from uh, wherever it was, Nevada. Lucy, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's like a situation where it was. It you know, she described it happening in public, so it's clearly some kind of strange power move. Like I think fundamentally, like one. Don't touch people. But two, if like especially don't be touching people if there's such an immense power differential between yourself. You are the vice president of the United States. Like you are or you're the principal of a school. You're a teacher. Anytime you're in a situation where you have more power than someone else and you're doing the touching that like unacceptable. That, uh, let's that, move on. Yeah, let's move on. But that's a very good point there. Uh, well, and and uh, before you guys go, you guys are doing your uh, thing at Bridge, in Bridgeport tonight in Mars. That is called? correct, yes. All right, a big party. Uh, we have uh, Odessa. She weighed in here. She says, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It was Bruce Bruce. He says, has Ben going to be giving out pins at the party? <laughs> you started Pens and salad. Pens and salad. salad. Well, the salad's gone, but the pens are here. <laughs> you know, you can't have enough pens, D. Uh, so, yes, I may... Uh, Ask a, a trivia question, and the winner will get a pen. You hear that, Bruce? Bruce, All you better right. show up. You show up, you'll win a pen. You know it's what, nice though? Pen. There will be other swag. There will be reader swag and other opportunities to win cool shit if you show up at the party tonight. Yes. And uh, so, yes, there you go. You can win reader swag and pens. All right? All right. Now, uh, earlier, Dennis was going through the news, the local news, talking about in the, the final days of the campaign, Tony Perkwinkle said, eh, I've had, a north of the, <laughs> I had enough of the north side. I'm going to concentrate elsewhere in the city obviously not where she's expecting her votes Lori Lightfoot made a calculated decision as well that affected one Maya Maya explain what happened on Saturday at yeah the so I mean actually both of them made uh, calculated decisions and it really doesn't matter that much that it affected me but it affected a whole lot of other people who should matter more than um they, they, they do matter more than I do. Um, so for for over a month now, the Chicago Housing Initiative, which is a coalition of more than a dozen uh, community organizations um, that are fighting for access to affordable housing and the preservation of public housing and various other issues surrounding fair, uh, accessible, sanitary, clean, ex- safe housing in the city. They had, uh, for over a month, been planning this mayoral candidate forum they actually started planning it even before the runoff election um, for whoever was going to be in the runoff. So as soon as the runoff uh, election results were in, you know, the the election results were in and we knew who was in the runoff. They started reaching out to Tony and Lori. So for weeks, both of the candidates had been committed to uh, the Saturday morning forum on housing issues that happened um, this past Saturday on March 30th at Mount Carmel Baptist Church um, in, uh, in Bronzeville. So uh, then, so they're preparing myself and Alden Lowry from WBZ. We're supposed to be the moderators of this forum. And the coalition of these community organizations had worked very hard to create uh, like a pretty extensive list of questions for the two candidates. The whole point of this was to have a substantive uh, debate on a variety of issues, not to have just a bunch of platitudes thrown around, but they really put a lot of thought and care into constructing the questions in a way that was going to be informative for the audience. About 800 people said they were going to be coming to this thing. Um, and as the, uh, the last week progressed on, uh, on Tuesday, I believe, 
uh, Rainbow Push announced that they were having a big event with Al Sharpton on Saturday morning at exactly the same time as the housing forum was supposed to be going on. All right. So I don't know at what point Al Sharpton decided that he was going to come here. I'm sure it was probably very sudden. But um, the way that this event was being advertised was that it was going to be this big reconciliation minded type of event with Tony and Lori. Al Sharpton was going to give a speech. This was going to be televised. It was going to be on the radio. A giant, you know, you know, Rainbow Push operations. They're big. There's a lot of media involved. It's a big deal. So, uh, you know, the the organizers of this housing forum saw this advertisement. They heard from Tony's people uh, who said that Lori was going to be going to this forum and that if she was going to be there, Tony needed to be there, too. I mean, to, to this event without Sharpton. And if Tony if Lori was going to be there, Tony needed to be there, too. Um, kind of panic ensued. And the housing forum organizers started trying to get in touch with Lori's campaign to figure out what was going on. And for for more than 24 hours. So they started reaching out to them when they heard about all this on Thursday because the Rainbow Push event barely got any advertising because it was so last minute. So Thursday, they start reaching out. Nothing, nothing, no response whatsoever from Lori's campaign. When they had been very communicative and responsive all along for planning this forum, they didn't return a single call or text message of the dozens that the housing forum organizers put in. I started reaching out to people I knew affiliated with Lori's campaign. Same thing. No, no, no real answers. And finally, at 8.30 p.m. on Friday, before the morning of this forum, Lori's people said she wasn't going to be there. And Tony's people had promised us that they would come, that they would go to the Sharpton thing in the morning earlier and then come a little bit later than expected to the housing forum and stay for an hour. So, you know, this is what this is what we wake up to Saturday morning. I get to Mark Carmel Baptist Church. Um, I think the audience wasn't as packed as it would have been if, cause, cause you know, news started spreading about this. I started tweeting about it, that Lori was backing out. Um, so I think some people were maybe less interested in coming once they found out both candidates were there and Tony shows up late, later than she said she would. And she stays for a total of like 15 or 20 minutes before shuttling back to the rainbow push event. And we, as Alden and I get up to start asking questions, that's when we learned that she was only going to be there for 20 minutes. So we had had an hour's worth of questions planned. Mm. So everything was just like very, very rushed. We barely re- we, we really turned into a stump speech campaign stop type thing for, for Tony because she was the only one there. And we didn't really have time to get into a lot of the substantive issues we wanted to discuss and do follow up questions and really push her on issues. Um, yeah and then yeah and then she then then she left very quickly and uh the forum was i was just incredibly just disappointed and shocked at the disrespect shown by Lori's campaign to these housing forum organizers because these community organizations that Chicago Housing Initiative represents, some of them are seniors groups, some of them are groups uh, of, of homeless people who are organizing, some of them, a lot of these groups are uh, led by people of color, working class and poor people of color, uh, women, and j- just to have committed to something for weeks and weeks and weeks and then at the last minute something cooler comes along and you're just like you just flake out you flake out and you don't even have the decency to op- to own up to it until 8 30 p.m on no, the previous they didn't night send a proxy they no didn't, okay they just, no they nobody. didn't nobody came mm-hmm. and and they wouldn't and they didn't they like it, it just uh, and even though it was good that tony came the, the the fact that even she was like she couldn't even commit to the hour that she, that they had confirmed they would be there yeah um 
yeah, so it was very disappointing. You know, I looked on Twitter. Lori had all these photos posted with Al Sharpton. And then after that, she went up to the north side to Cinnamon Bun Tycoon, Tom Tunney's Aunt Sather, <laughs> to, like, shake hands with Cinnamon. a bunch of well-to-do white people. Yeah. So, all right, my takeaway from this uh, story is this, and feel free, free to vigorously disagree with me, uh, as I know you will, Maya. My takeaway from this sort of fits the narrative that I've been talking about uh, throughout this campaign, and that is is that uh, really issues do not matter in this campaign. It's all about posturing. It's all about uh, getting, in this particular case, uh, for Lori, it was very important to be photographed uh, with Al Sharpton. In, uh, so the issues of housing that may affect people on the South Side in, in a campaign's decision are secondary to just a photograph with Al Sharpton who may may get voters you know to uh to yeah. convince them and, to vote for that oh she can't be that and bad Lori needed the, I mean Lori really has been fighting for the black vote so maybe the calculation was that this was going to be more likely to get her more south side black votes or west side black votes um because her base of support is really white north siders uh I think that well okay two things first of all I want to also add that I'm incredibly disappointed at the rainbow push people because the housing forum organizers were also reaching out to them to see if they could work out some kind of compromise where they could stagger the events or something. They were to, to, to shift the schedules around so that both events could happen and both candidates could be at the same place. And they got absolutely no response from anybody from Rainbow Push on this. I was thinking to myself as I was standing in their church, like what would have happened? What if Al Sharpton had come to that event? had made an appearance at that housing forum, what that would have done for these issues, for these people that are organizing around these issues, how many people would have turned out to that event. Um, and then the other thing I want to say is I was over the weekend, I was also talking to uh, a former Democratic Party operative, uh, not not from Chicago, uh, but uh, who worked in New York State, who said to me that she was describing that in the last days of a campaign, things can get really crazy mm -hmm. and all kinds of people can show up to a campaign that had nothing to do with running this operation all along, but they're sort of like last minute people. She actually used the words nothing burger dick bags from Washington, <laughs> D.C., who will, who will show up to a campaign and yeah. as, you know be very impressive to a candidate and and <laughs> appear to have this you know all this knowledge and professional expertise on issues and start calling the shots and essentially take over a campaign with the aim of like getting a job in this new administration and she said that especially this can happen with campaigns that seem like they have a lot of momentum behind them and a high chance of winning so part of me wondered because there was a moment so look th this this had to happen for this this whole thing to go down the way it did this is what had to happen so uh, you know, there's a room of Lori's campaign staff. You know, folks know that this this is what their schedule is on Saturday to be at this housing forum. Suddenly, someone runs in and says, hey, Al Sharpton is coming and they want us to be at this thing at Rainbow Push with him. Like, we're invited. Yeah. And somebody else in the room has got to say, but what about this thing we committed to at that same time on Saturday morning? And then the discussion is that, like, Somebody either is calling the shots high up in the campaign and they say, no, you know, forget about that. We're doing this instead. Or there's a coordinated discussion about it. But I do not buy that there was no planning around canceling this. And I just cannot believe that they wouldn't own up to it until the last minute, unless maybe there was some kind of internal struggle where staffers were trying to figure out a way to do both. And it wasn't until 8.30 well, I don't understand the why they didn't before. send a proxy. 
You just, yeah, I don't I either. Mean, if, you, if, if you say... I don't know how that would have looked worse than not being there at all. Yeah. Uh, well, at least there's somebody there to absorb, to answer a question or absorb the, the anger, I mean, of the people in the audience. It's not a total, complete uh, write-off or brush-off. Uh, listen... Your, the, the basic point is if you made a commitment to talk to uh, a coalition of housing activists on a very important issue, affordable housing, you should own up to that. But if you decide it's in your best political interest at the end of a campaign to blow them off because Al Sharpton's in town and it's more important mm-hmm. to be photographed hugging Al Sharpton, yep. then that's a decision. you got to own up to it. Send somebody in there. And they wouldn't own up to it until 12 hours before the event. Yeah. The people who were organizing this thing did not hardly sub the night before, trying to figure out how they were going to rearrange everything to make it work with one candidate instead of two. All right. So um, this sort of fits the narrative, as I said. I've been saying we're... Um, but all kinds of weird stuff happens at the 11th hour, at the 11th hour of campaigns. Well, I would say this stuff is weird. I don't even know if weird... That would be under the category of uh, weird or you know just um, out of the blue. I think that the strategy that have been employed by the people who engineer the campaigns in the city of Chicago uh, in this in this cycle um, has been particularly what frustrating for me. I would say, and I've talked about this many times. I've written about it. Um, there's really no discussion in any specific way, Maya, about. Like anything, like what's your housing plan? How are you going to raise the money that you need to fund Chicago? How are you going to distribute the money you need to uh, to run a Chicago? Uh, what kind of you know uh, of, um, resources are you going to give to the schools? Are you going to give more money to the schools? Are you going to continue? To me, the one of the most important programs of all. Are you going to continue uh, the TIF program by giving most of the money to the well-to-do neighbors and squandering the uh, poor neighbors? How are you going to find the money to do all the infrastructure needs? This is an endless parade of issues that we could be talking about they don't talk about any of them they speak in platitudes they evade they duck they dodge because they've been told we had erica uh wozniak on the show last week she ran for ornament 46 mm-hmm. ward and she told a story uh didn't have to do with issues but how her campaign strategist told her not to wear a, a red uh, lipstick, a really um, dark red lipstick because mm-hmm. that would turn off voters so they were like that's the kind of things, these cosmetic things. So stay That's, away from... You know what? Yeah. People who run campaigns, it's... Just, I don't know. There's <laughs> there's a special place in hell, I feel like, because somebody's got to do it. But the but but all of... The, you're right that all of these decisions about how these candidates behaved, at the end of the day, they're made by these people in these back rooms who decide on what matters most and who decide on what actually, you know, oh yeah, a picture with Al Sharpton, that's what's going to get you the vote. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's all, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say that Lori is not responsible for, for, for this like, you know, horrible kind of show of disrespect to these housing forum organizers, because I think she is, because I think that if she, you know, at the end of the day, the candidate is the one that, that can say like what they want to do. But I'm sure that there is lots of pressure and advice, advice, and ear was and like whispering that happens in these candidates ears about what you know what's the best way uh you know what's the thing that's going to appear most palatable and um you know we talked about this a lot with tony's campaign over the course of this too but actually speaking of erica and the 46th ward i really i would be remiss not to bring up what uh i did this little story yesterday about uh yeah another strange 11th hour tactic of uh yeah, of electioneering yeah. that what that was documented and uh and and investigated in the 46th ward incumbent alder, incumbent alderman uh james kappelman was showing up to nursing home polling places so 
you know, folks may know that there's, uh, you know, early voting usually at one site at a, in, in every ward for a certain period of time before election day. Uh, but there's also early voting that happens specifically at nursing homes that can request to have the Board of Elections set up a polling place to accommodate the residents. And so in the 46th Ward, there's four nursing homes that function as, as polling places in the Friday to Monday before election day. Mm-hmm. And so Kappelman was coming to these places with trays of cupcakes that said in frosting <laughs> and on the top, yeah, Team Kappelman. Yeah. And so uh, his his opponent, uh, the, his runoff opponent, Marianne Lalonde, uh, there there were poll watchers at these sites from that, that were from Marianne's campaign, which, by the way, is like totally normal. Uh, poll watchers are usually from one or the other campaign, and they can be neutral people, too. But anyway, so uh, these poll watchers photographed him dropping off these cupcakes, uh, and r- complaints were made to the Board of Elections, and the investigators came out. They were like yes this is electioneering and they got rid of the cupcakes and uh it was just uh yeah it was one of the most absurd stories of electioneering that uh that i've that i've ever seen or heard of and folks if you're out there today if you see anything like that campaign literature buttons cupcakes bread (laughs) whatever (laughs) boomerangs with candidates names being handed out or offered within a hundred feet within those boundaries set up by the cone the blue cones within a hundred feet of a polling place you need to report that right away to the board of elections or the chicago lawyers committee for civil rights who also have a hotline for this and uh you can also tweet us uh or you know tag us on social media with backroom deal live uh hashtag to report these incidents so we can discuss them tonight at the party yeah we'll be talking about them at the party we'll talk about that cupcake gate uh (laughs) and in the 46th ward uh north side of chicago uptown area my next guest by the way tony macaluso uh is an archivist uh at the um uh studs turco archive or was the archivist anyway and studs turco lived uh in uptown so when i whenever i think uptown is kind of in my mind i remember going to studs turkle's house once and he big big old house not probably far from this very site so the world is converging on the ben jarofsky show but <laughs> folk uh tell everybody that if they haven't had the the uh, for, good fortune to read your story that you wrote about this for the reader maya the closing line jim allen what a wise guy from oh the chicago God. board of yeah, elections yeah the spokesman for the chicago board of elections jim allen who's actually one of my one of my favorite flax out there i just because he's so easy to work with and he's always very responsive and uh maybe it's because they don't get that much criticism as an agency so he's quite pleasant to work with but uh anyway when i contacted him about all this he at some point he just broke down laughing because it was so ridiculous especially when when i was telling him that kappelman's campaign was saying that it was inappropriate to be taking photos inside a polling polling place but at the end of the day he said (laughs) democracy was preserved the cupcakes were not yes no that's good by the way i'm gonna give a shout out to jim allen too but i'm gonna take it a different direction i've had my moments with jim allen we were on the opposite side of debates having to do with the board of election decisions on ballot challenges and that stuff and what i like about allen and i hope there's some strategists out there listening you know what you can have a disagreement with someone without like totally vilifying and destroying them that's sort of the mentality that exists with many of the operations in city hall my as you Mm -hmm. know like and that's part, who, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, the Lifewood campaign said, oh, we're not going to that housing group because Maya's there. We don't like Maya's coverage or Alden's there. We don't like Alden's. 
that stuff's been known to happen as well. So uh, I appreciate Jim Allen. Uh, he's not afraid to uh, uh, tangle with the reporter. And then when it was all said and yeah, done. Yeah. And most importantly, he like responds quickly. Yeah. He, well, just, he gets back to you quickly. Like, I feel like it's a it's like a real side. And I'm sure that there's lots of requests and demands on his time that comes in that come in all the time but he seems he has like an incredible ability to just be very responsive all right so before we bring tony on to talk about the studs turkle archive has a lot of connections to politics a lot of great interviews that studs turkles did down through the years uh on chicago politics maya one more time where will we be tonight and how can folks get there? All that good stuff. Yeah, so you can join us tonight for Chicago Readers uh, Backroom Deal Live Election Night Party from 6 to 9 p.m. at Mars Community Tap Room at M-A-R-Z. Uh, that's the brewery in Bridgeport. And uh, we will be there. Ben and I will be there. We'll have a great DJ, Sadie Woods. We'll have some special guests joining us for a discussion. The event will also be live streamed on Facebook for those who can't make it. And uh, we'll we'll do our regular bit. We'll talk about the election <laughs> results as they our come in. We'll bit. talk yeah. about, you know... We'll, we'll 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 process and analyze uh, with everybody. We'll take questions from the audience. There'll be lots of delicious beer and food, and uh, the event is free. So please come out and join us at six o'clock. All right. And I heard that the uh, the band uh, the Nothing Burger Dick Bags will be playing. <laughs> I heard they're going to be playing. Yeah, they'll be singing their greatest hits. I heard they're not that good. Uh, they they no, they do a cover of uh, Kenny Rogers' song and the Gambler. You oh, know, that's nice. I, yeah, I don't know why. Hang tight, millennials. Uh, we'll be giving away a pen and. And Maya, if you're lucky, will make a cupcake. So uh, we'll have a lot of fun there tonight. Maya, great job. As always, uh, see you tonight. Uh, Tony uh, Macalusa is sitting on deck. We're going to bring him on when we come back. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, everybody. Your Ben Jarofsky Show, hour number two for Tuesday, April 2nd, a.k.a. Election Day, is underway. But before we get going into said hour number two, we have to remind everybody that the Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you by unions, a couple of them, in fact, like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 1. We'd like to thank those unions for jumping on board with us here. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, April 2nd, Election Day. 
and live from the Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Times studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome visiting scholar and former director of the Studs Terkel Archive, Tony Macaluso, and Benny J takes the deep dive with former Illinois governor, Pat Quinn. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Maya has left the building. Maya has left the building. But Tony is here. Tony Macaluso from, well, I just keep calling the Studs Terkel Archivist, even though he's not technically literally right now as we speak, the Studs Terkel Archivist. So I apologize, whoever is the, currently the Studs Terkel Archivist. Oh, they are pissed right now. <laughs> but you see, Tony, you got to understand something about me. Some, once something gets in my head, it's really ha- hard to unlodge it, all right? So uh, we're just going to go just run with it for the moment, all right, Tony? That sounds good. So uh, it is so good to be in Chicago on Election Day. I just got back from living in England for the last eight months. Actually, I'm going back to England in 10 days, but I got here just in time for Election Day and to escape to escape <laughs> Brexit madness for, for, for a whole different kind of homegrown political turbulence. Now, uh, before we take the deep, deep dive into uh, who Studs Turkle was, because I think some of our very young listeners may need a little help there, mm. uh, and what the archive has and how it could be relevant to people's lives. I have to say, I met you, Tony, it was uh, on Saturday. I was at the Nelson Algren Committee party, they had that birthday party that I alluded to earlier. And I was very fortunate to get an award from the group uh, for my uh, many, many years of uh, writing in the city of Chicago about politics. Uh, and when you told me you, you uh, would help put together the archives, I immediately said, I gotta have you on the show uh, to talk about it, because um, I'd say Studs Terkel, people from my generation, is probably a very sim- uh, common refrain, uh, Tony. Like, there's Studs Terkel, there's Nelson Algren, there's Mike Royko, they're sort of like the big three. And uh, so, uh, it was. I just had to have you come on to talk about the archives. But you've been living. You tell me you've been in, in England. You don't have an accent. No, no. You didn't pick the. When you're in England, do you have a bit of an accent? A little, a little bit. My ten year old son is going to start to get one. He's going to get a good Yorkshire Northern English accent. What's York? Next... How? What does that sound like? Yorkshire. It's sort of halfway to Scottish. And but there's and there's some <laughs> Viking slang mixed in there, which is interesting. That was Viking territory about eight nine hundred years ago. So uh, they've got some strange words. Some strange words. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep it Chicagoese uh, here. Uh, for today, anyway. All right, so Studs Terkel. Uh, Tony, why don't you educate people who may not have heard of him? There may be some people out there who the, the name may be familiar, but they don't know exactly who Studs Terkel was, what he represents. So why don't you just clue him in? Yeah, Studs, born in 1912, the as you like to say, the year the Titanic went down, he came up and lived until 2008, the year Obama was elected. In fact, he died on Halloween 2008, three days before that, that big election. He just he just missed it. He, he refused to, to vote early. He wanted to be around and cast his ballot in person. So 96 years, and among the many things that he did, he had a daily radio show on WFMT, the classical station up on the north side, mm-hmm. uh, what was downtown at the time, uh, 45 years, daily radio show most of the time, left behind about 5,600 wow. interviews with Martin Luther King and Muhammad Ali and Simone de Beauvoir, Nelson Algren's longtime lover, thousands of people, but also taxi drivers and teachers and school kids in China. He traveled around South Africa and Italy and uh, the Soviet Union, uh, and then also wrote 14 amazing books, oral history books, that sort of put the whole idea of people's history, oral history on the map, things like working and the good war. And, but just also 
to me, the kind of the unofficial cultural mayor of Chicago. I mean, I saw him many times when I was when I was coming up, uh, and uh, someone who could just embody the history of the city and you know get on a soapbox and talk about the meaning of the Haymarket Massacre or Bug House Square or event after event and just put it all in context. And uh, what I've learned from working on his archive and traveling the world is, while there's lots of people that haven't quite keyed into who Studs was for huge chunks of people, especially in the radio world and podcasting and oral history. I mean, he is a legend, whether you're in France or China or England, where I've just been. I mean, people know him when they think of Chicago. Studs is is right up there with, with, with some of the, the other obvious names, the Michael Jordans and the Oprah Winfrey's and the Obamas and the Al Capones as just an embodiment of what makes the city great. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you rattle off a list of names. Uh, most of the names that you just rattle off who are connected with Chicago are actually not from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Al Capone uh, came to Chicago from New York. Oprah Winfrey came to Chicago from the South. Michael Jeffrey Jordan came to Chicago from North Carolina. Uh, I can't remember what the other name was. I think those are the big three on the list. Yeah, yeah. But those are the people who achieved success in Chicago. Even Walter Payton, we're talking about the great sweetness. He's mm-hmm. not from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Studs Turkle was very very much a part of the city went to uh grew up is i think his didn't his parents own like a boarding house yeah the wells the, wells and grand hotel well they, they had one on the west side too but the where he grew up in the 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 20s during the depression was up at wells and grand just north of the merchandise mart yeah still, still there now it's i think there's an oyster bar in the ground floor which, oh that's wild man uh, things have changed uh, but uh so he very much there is like a generation of of, of chicagoans who are very much you know from the city rooted in the city rooted in there i'm thinking you know like uh like cop or uh mike Roy or gwendolyn brooks these are people from uh chicago itself and rooted it very much rooted in the city and studs turkle was one of them he had a daily radio show i forgot that i forgot that it was so every day it wasn't was it done live or was it taped mostly live sometimes taped but started back in 1952 and ran to 1997 he had a tv show for a couple of years before that too but he got blacklisted under mccarthy and that ended his tv career which was good for radio because I think that was his that was his natural home and so were you an engineer on his show did you work on his show no no I came to WFMT a little bit after he left although I used to see him a lot so I I came to run WFMT's radio network back in uh, 2000 uh, 2011 which was making radio shows that WFMT sent around the world and of course studs being part of the history of the station uh, we teamed up with the Chicago History Museum which is who actually owns all of Studs' tapes, and started a long and uh, wild project to make them all available to the world on this this website. All right. Now, I uh, have to say, I, I get a little obsessive a lot of times. I've talked about this when I get on YouTube. I'll start watching old comics or Johnny Carson or what have you. The next thing you know, an hour has passed. I, did, I had a couple experiences like this with the Studs' Turkle archives. And it's these voices of famous people from this, the last century, really the, the second half of the last century that are preserved forever. I'm thinking of Lorraine Hansberry, you know, um, uh, the great playwright from uh, Chicago. And uh, I think Bob Dylan is, there's an inter- interview with a very young Bob mm-hmm. Dylan. There's a couple interviews at least uh, with James Baldwin uh, talking about race, et cetera, et cetera. So how did Studs Terkel do ju- juggle this how did he like, get all these famous people into his studio uh and who to agree to sit down and talk with him for like an hour 
early on, it was just, you know, it, was, it started with a lot of musicians, Big Bill Brunzi, the great blues singer, and Mahalia Jackson. But I think as word got around, especially amongst writers, and, but also filmmakers, actors, that there was this guy in Chicago, and if you went on his show, it kind of blew your mind. It was one hour of just unbelievable, close listening, nourishment, humor. Studs actually read the books of every writer he had on the show. And so as time went on, I think people really sought him out. And he and the staff, Lois Baum, who's still around, who helped oversee his show for a long time, I mean, they really chose carefully who to have as guests, too. They didn't want celebrities just for the sake of celebrity, but people who could really hold their own for an hour conversation and just go deep into whatever the political, social, artistic, cultural issue might be. And so when you uh, took upon yourself the challenge of... uh preserving all these inter, uh, these tapes, did you preserve absolutely every single one or were you selective about which uh, interviews got preserved? Yeah, well, the great, fortunately I had loads of help. Allison Shine, who is the archivist who's still working up at WFMT, but the amazing thing was it was the Library of Congress, Washington, D.C., took all of Studd's tapes. They traveled across the country to this facility that used to be, it was a, it was a, a Cold War era uh, shelter for storing currency. Back during the Cold War, the plan was to have loads of U.S. dollar bills all shrink-wrapped on pallets, so if there was a nuclear war afterwards, there'd be money to <laughs> w- roll out and restart the economy amidst the post-nuclear apocalypse. But that space was given to the Library of Congress as their video, film, audio facility. And so it was the federal government, actually, that digitized all this stuff. So they're still working away at it. They're about two-thirds of the way done but they have this amazing group of of engineers. The tapes are incredibly fragile, 60 years old, 40, 50, 60 years old, and you only get one chance to to pull the sound off the tape because the the chemicals start to peel off and they have to be baked sometimes for three, four days in an oven before they're put into the the machine to transfer them. So it was a million dollars worth of labor from the Library of Congress. So wait, time out. So not all the tapes have been preserved then? There's still more that have of, of Studs interviews? That, that's still, still in the process of being digitized, yeah, yeah. So, but 5,600, it's not every show he ever did. And this is maybe 1,000, 1,500 that didn't get saved, that got taped over. Because again, back in the 50s and 60s, the idea of even saving a daily radio show, it's incredible that they had the, the foresight to do that. And Studs loved his own art. I mean, he really later in life took incredible pride in the archive and he would reuse it for shows too if he was going to have on you know Carl Sagan as an astronomer he'd go back and find some older interview with another scientist to play at the top of the show so he was he saw it as a living breathing archive and at the end of his life he used to say according to to Lois and and other friends of his you know what's going to happen to all my tapes are people going to be able to actually use them and of course he didn't really see what the the potential of the internet and the fact that they could be there just a click away for anybody to use yeah and did you have any favorites i mean you've listened you must have listened to hundreds and hundreds oh, of God, hours of interviews probably thou- two thousand of them about one a day for for the last five years the ones i've come to really love i mean there's tons that i love but in addition to sitting in the studio studs did these incredible field recordings where he would tramp around with this old 1950s era German UR tape recorder. So hearing studs, you know, wandering around Rome in 1963, <laughs> meeting with Fellini while Fellini was filming Eight and a Half, or you know, in the red light district in Hamburg. I was in Hamburg a couple of years ago and walking around the red light district, listening to studs 
exactly 50 years earlier, wandering around the red light district, you know, encountering people in these CD jazz clubs and just narrating stream of consciousness. So I love studs on the road is amazing to me. Uh, and, uh, uh, by the way, I have to say one of my other favorites just popped in my mind. I wrote it down. Mel Brooks, yeah, yeah. uh, his interview with Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks does all these uh, accents and stuff like that. So studs was more or less a straight man in that one, you know, yeah, like setting quite him a up. Few of them, he's a straight man. Zero Mostel, the same thing. Zero Mostel pretends to burn down the studio <laughs> with, with matches flying around the room and, and, and other things. Uh, Tony, did you bring any, we have some to play D we got some tapes. No, um, I'm looking at <laughs> You want to take a break and then we can. All right, we'll take up. a brief break. We'll cue come back. Stuff up. Cue right. this stuff up. We'll be right back after this. Oh, did. When you lose a loved one whose wishes were to be cremated, Chicagoland Cremation Options provides your family a dignified and affordable cremation service. Chicagoland Cremation Options helps you bypass the expensive overhead of a funeral home or cemetery by streamlining the cremation directly. It saves you sometimes thousands of dollars. Chicagoland Cremation Options Crematory, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. You can find them at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. All right. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, we'll do. Uh, Tony Macalusu is in the studio with me. We're talking about the Studs Turkle archive. Uh, Studs Turkle, of course, the uh, the great interviewer, writer, oral historian, actor, radio actor, uh, activist, political activist in the city of Chicago from 1912 until he died in 2008 and has left a voluminous collection of interviews, uh, which you can get on the internet. Just start with Studs Turkle Googling and you'll find it. And uh, as Tony is saying, it's it's famous people, famous writers, famous comedians, famous actors, but also, uh, quote unquote, ordinary everyday Chicagoans. And you get a sense of like, like a real sense of Chicago history. Well, just the history of culture and, uh, in, uh, in the world, 
uh, in the 20th century from the, some of the uh, interviews. So we're going to take a deep dive uh, further on, get, play some of the Studs Terkel stuff. But do you got an update for us? Absolutely, I do. It is Election Day, everybody. In the last hour, we went through the uh, the weekends or the final hours and days of our mayoral candidates, Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. Got some insight on uh, their strategy before Election Day. And uh, Election Day is kind of interesting because uh, all the moments leading up to Election Day, you got tons of information, tons of stuff to talk about. Then the day after Election Day, you got tons of stuff to talk about. Right now, we're in that moment where we wait. <laughs> we're waiting yeah. for the results here. So as we wait, we do have some early poll numbers to talk about for early voting and mail-in voting. Uh, so let's go ahead and run through those real quick. Some early voting numbers to discuss here. This comes from the Illinois Political Bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos. First off, stats for early voting and vote by mail shows us something well that we already knew. Young people don't early vote. No, they do not. 5,112 voters age 18 to 24 voted early or by mail. Nearly 34,000 early voted or voted by mail for those ages uh, 55 to 64. The other age groups waver at around 25,000 with voters who are 65 to 74 years old, numbering around 32,837. Older people vote. Older people vote. Younger people do not vote. Mm. Yeah, we knew that. On to the wards. Now let's look at some early voting on the wards. I I think we need some good dramatic music here. (laughs) All right. So, Ben, get ready for a wicked quiz here, buddy. Uh-oh. All right. Uh-oh. The 19th and 41st wards. Who are the aldermen of the 19th and 41st wards? Uh, well, Matt O'Shea is the 19th ward, as you know, and Anthony Napolitano is the alderman of the 41st ward. The 19th ward is in the southwest side. It's in Chicago, roughly the Beverly area. And the 41st ward is the northwest side of Chicago. Oh, think Saugan Ash. Think people of the area right uh, just sort of uh, east of O'Hare. Oh, he had no notes. What no a notes, dork. Baby. What a dork. He knows all of it, all right? No, that's why we like him. The 19th and 41st wards were the wards with the most early and mail-in votes. The 34th, 39th, and 40th wards outpaced early voting from February's election. And early voting is up in two of the wards, won by former candidate Dr. Willie Wilson in the first election, uh, the 34th and the 6th. Well, 34th and the 6th ward. So, you know, those are south side wards. Uh, Tony Perkwinkle is... uh, that's her base as she sees it. So that's that's be encouraging sign if you're a Tony Perkwinkle fan that the people are voting in the 34th and the 6th Ward. So let's talk about some final day candidate endorsements and donations. The Chicago Defender, the city's historic African-American newspaper, has endorsed. Oh, can you feel the suspense? <laughs> Tony Perkwinkle. <laughs> They endorsed Tony Preckwinkle. Right. Tony Preckwinkle also <laughs> received ten thousand dollars from Iron Workers Union Local sixty three IPAL fund, five thousand dollars from developer LZ Higginbottom. LZ Higginbottom, owner of the Reader, one of my many bosses. Hey LZ, <laughs> hope you like the show. Yeah. Don't fire us. All right, and uh, fifteen hundred dollars from Cook County Commissioner Larry Sufferden. Oh, Larry Sufferden from Evanston, as you know. Lori Lightfoot. Well, I didn't know. Lori Lightfoot has received twenty five thousand dollars from United Food and Commercial Workers International Union. $10,000 from Motion Picture Studio Mechanics, local number 476. $10,000 from Chicago Stagehands, local two pack. And $5,000 from Motion Picture Projectionists, local 110. Looks like the uh, actors in uh, 
The movie people are going for Lightfoot. Yeah, they're going for Lightfoot. Uh, listen, uh, it is very much uh, an election in which the north side of Chicago, it's pretty obvious, has decided they're going with Lori Lightfoot. So if Tony Perkwick is going to win this election, she needs a very strong turnout um, from the south side. The polls are now open, and they'll still be open when the show is over. But Ben Jarofsky, you and your Chicago Reader colleague and Backroom Deal co-host Maya Dugmasova are going to be live in Bridgeport this evening. Isn't that correct? Yes, that is correct. And Mars Brewery, M-A-R-Z. From 6 to 9 tonight? That is correct. Yep. Hang out with Jarofsky. Hang out with Maya Duke-Mosva. You might get a free pin out of the deal. Yeah, I'll get free pens. Uh, If you answer, I have to come up with a trivia question to ask people before I give that. And Maya promises to bring some of that delicious cabbage salad that she was eating earlier. (laughs) All right. uh, Tony Macaluso is in the studio. We're talking about the Studs Terkel archives. Tony, I've been negligent. Is there a a website? I just said Google it, but is there a website that people should know about? Studs. StudsTurkle.org. So that's as it gets. S T U D S T E R K E L. And uh, it's election day. Uh, Studs, as you were saying, did not really do a lot of interviews with politicians. Is that right, Tony? No, but he did like to talk to the people who sort of suffered or dealt with their influences. So some of my favorites, for example, Florence Scala, the woman who led the fight against uh, the the bulldozing of the west side of Chicago, the Taylor Street area, knocking down the Hall House, fighting against the first Mayor Daley, people like that, mm-hmm. you know, Saul Alinsky, uh, but, but the activists, the people on the front lines, yeah. full of that. And he has a lot of that, but not uh, elected officials. Did he have an attitude about elected officials? Did you just think they were interesting, or what was it? Yeah, I think he. I mean, he. Yeah, I mean, it's just his heart was with the, was with the, the 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 people, the working people of the city. Although, you know, he was really ex- very excited about Harold Washington. He was excited about the the Obama election, even though he didn't live to see the how it played out in the end. But. Yeah, he was a big supporter of Harold Washington. In fact, he was on the stage mm. at Harold's inauguration in the first time around mm. in 1983. I think he actually may have given a speech. I know Gwendolyn Brooks read a poem, and I think. Uh, Studs may have given a speech of some sort, uh, done some readings of some sort. We have some uh, clips to play, D. Ready to do that? Absolutely, we do here. This is uh, Studs Turkle, and you said it's about 22 minutes in, so let's see what this is. Okay. <laughs> Don't give me that then you have, then you have an opinion openly expressed. The train. A little bit of the CTA here coming in first before we hear studs. The bigness, the hugeness, steel, the skyscraper came into being here, the architecture, the nature of the music. Some call Chicago a seedbed. Sometimes the artists who grow here move elsewhere because the market is there. But seedbed might be a good way of describing the city. Nelson Algren, to me, was able to describe Chicago in lyrical terms, the city west of the billboards. His best writing might have been in a short story's Neon Wilderness. Uh, there might have been in a prose poem of love-hate for Chicago called Chicago City on the Make. Uh, it might have been in Never Come Morning that first brought the attention of Simone de Beauvoir, whom you got to know rather well. As gossip columns would say, they were good and dear friends for a time. And Sartre liked him very much. But here's Nelson, also a sardonic. The question comes up Nelson about Nelson moving, leaving Chicago. And he's moved to Patterson. The question is your reaction. You call, you describe Patterson as a boom town. Yeah, well, it is. It is, it is it's booming in, uh, in welfare. It's almost 60% now on welfare. It's past, uh, oh, it's way past Newark. And- 
So that actually comes not from the, the radio archive, but from another fantastic archive called Media Burn, which is a video archive. Great friends of ours, Tom Weinberg, Sarah Chapman, an amazing collection of Chicago video, including tons and tons of great uh, political footage of all kinds, not, in, not necessarily involving studs, but they have... Uh, dozens and dozens of great videos of studs. This is actually a documentary the BBC made back in 1985 called Studs Turkel Omnibus. A guy named uh, Mike Dibb, who I met in London a couple months ago. And great footage, what you're hearing, you also see great, great footage of Chicago. Uh, but a bit of studs talking to his friend, the great writer Nelson Algren. And I recommend if you're looking for some election night reading, pick up a copy of Chicago City. <laughs> Get really depressed. Yes. Uh, no, Chicago City. I, mean, we talk, I talked earlier in the show about Nelson Algren. And uh, Nelson Algren, uh, of course, was a great writer in the 40s and the 50s, uh, uh, raised here in the city of Chicago, uh, had a very, Stud said it in that bit, uh, a love-hate relationship with the city of Chicago that's embodied by that um, prose poem, Chicago uh, City on the Make. Two different characters. Let's talk about that a little bit, Tony. Nelson Algren and Studs Terkel were friends, uh, but they were like two completely different types. Get into that a little bit. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I mean, Algren, I mean, as a, as a novelist, right, lived even more deeply amongst living in the, the northwest side of Chicago, writing about the Poles and the Polish Triangle, uh, writing about drug addiction and, and prostitution and, and alcoholism and, and suffering in the city. Uh, but in a subjective, kind of deep in people's minds sort of way, and then studs out with the tape recorder, chronicling it. And they were they were quite good friends. And in fact, uh, one of my favorite programs in the archive, the radio archive, is a program called Come In at the Door, which studs made with Algren and uh, Herman Kogan, Rick Kogan's dad, who was mm. friends with both of them as well, which are readings from Algren's poems and stories. When Algren's luck was starting to, to, to slip in the later 50s, he had... He had a tough last couple of decades. He was the darling of, of American literature. I mean, Hemingway and every, others said, you know, Algren is, is, was one of the, in fact, Hemingway said, you know, Algren was one of the two best writers in America, the other being Hemingway himself, in his view. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, but Algren eventually left Chicago in, uh, in the, the 70s, disillusioned, went out to Patterson as that, that bit of interview. Which is pretty recalls. funny, Patterson, New Jersey. Why Patterson, New Jersey? Well, part of it, he was just, you know, he was, his books were no longer in the libraries or the bookstores. He had been kind of forgotten. It was resentful. But he also went out to New Jersey because he wanted to write a book about Hurricane uh, Carter, the boxer mm-hmm. who was imprisoned, uh, falsely accused of murder. Uh, but I think he was looking for an excuse. In fact, later in a clip, he talks about how he's going to go to Patterson the uh, the complicated way. Instead of going going east, he was going to go west across the country and take a boat to Japan, the Philippines, <laughs> around India, around Africa. And has this great spiel about how he's going to you know take the scenic way to Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, but he died out out east, uh, buried out in uh, Sag Harbor at the end of Long Island. Uh, sadly, and, cut off from his hometown. And Studs Terkel, in contrast, uh, stayed in Chicago to the end, lived in the city to the end. Uh, Nelson Algren, he had, it seemed as though he just uh, a strong passion against the city of Chicago at the end. I don't blame him at all, by the way. He was uh, just jaded on Chicago, to put it mildly. How did Studs sort of keep his benevolent attitude to the city? You see all the corruption in Chicago. You see the poverty in the Chicago, the inequity here, the unfairness, everything else. Uh, it eventually drove Nelson Algren out of Chicago. 
How did Studs Terkel find it in himself to stay here? You know, Studs liked to say towards the end of his life that his epitaph wanted he wanted his epitaph to be curiosity did not kill this cat. And I think part of it was just this attitude of getting up in the morning and getting on the bus he never drove, right? And just the idea that he was going to encounter some new story, some incredible new voice uh, every day and somehow finding a way to just, you know, he grew up in a rooming house with with men out of work during the Great Depression, hanging out at Bug House Square, hearing people on soapboxes making speeches. And I think there was just a sense that there was always some other story lurking around the corner and that that somehow kept him sane and optimistic, whereas Algren wasn't able to sustain it in quite the same way. What's your sense of how Studs Terkel would have uh, viewed where we are right now? Donald Trump is president of the United States. You said he died right before he got his opportunity to vote for Barack Obama. Think of what, what the world was like in 2008 as we anticipated the election of Barack Obama, and now what the world is like in t- 2019 uh, with Donald Trump as president. What's your sense of how stud- what studs would have made of this? Oh, God, I would love to hear even you know two minutes of studs commenting on the, the state of the world today, although sometimes I feel like in my hallucinations at you know 4 o'clock in the morning, I can sort of, it comes to me anyway. But I think, you know, he liked to, st- he talked a lot about the idea that we were the United States of Alzheimer's, that we were suffering from this kind of collective amnesia because we didn't know our own past. And I think part of what gets us into these situations, I mean, Studs would talk about, you know, Charles Lindbergh at America First, you know, who first coined that phrase, America First, in the 1930s, this kind of isolationist view of we're going to appease Hitler. And, uh, you know, where we're at is, is eerily reminiscent of that, which is why I feel like archives are so important, hearing voices from the past and realizing, wait a second, this debate about housing or police brutality, we were having it 45 years ago uh, in very similar ways. It's just that most people don't know that these things these things are being discussed and even solutions have been proposed and tried and sometimes successfully and then retracted, but it's all there and buried in those archives and the history. Tony Macaluso is my guest and we're talking about the uh, Studs Terkel archive and Terkel is spelled T-E-R-K-E-L, I got that yeah. run, yes. at Studs, S-T-U-D-S. And uh, folks, I urge everybody, even if you um, don't have a passion interest in Chicago politics, uh, Chicago history, uh, uh, there's so much good, the voices, it's just like the, the voices like to take you like into a, a time capsule, like to the 60s, the 50s, the 70s, famous people, ordinary people, Extraordinary interviews, studs, turkles. Uh, Tony, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate you taking the time to come in. Thank you. I look forward to election night tonight. Yes, election night is tonight. See you in Bridgeport. All right, Tony, bring your wife, bring your kid, bring the whole family, all right? All right, very good. Don't bring a pen because Ben's going (laughs) to be giving them away. Uh, You need a pen? You got a pen? Tony's got a pen. He's got a notebook. Today's Ben Drowski Show brought to you by pens (laughs) and salad. All right, very good. Uh, Tony Macaluso is my guest. Pat Quinn is coming on. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J O R A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live. Pat Quinn has entered the room. Pat Quinn has entered the room. That's Pat Quinn as in Governor Pat Quinn, former governor of the state of Illinois, former treasurer of the state of Illinois, former lieutenant governor of the state of Illinois. What else am I forgetting, Pat Quinn? Uh, I was elected commissioner of the Board of Tax Appeals in Cook County. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's right. That goes That's back to the history. 80s. Oh, well, I was resident. there. <laughs> now he's going to give me grief. Oh, excuse well, me how old well, I wait, am. Now, the listeners should know that you helped Noah build a boat way back then. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> I, I was the guy with the hammer. <laughs> Jay Noah. He's old, guys. Uh, all right. Now, Pat, uh, we were just talking with Tony about Studs Turkle's archive. We're going to talk politics with you, but... Uh, uh-huh. Uh, I know you were a friend of Studs Terkel. Yeah. And uh, have right. you ever dipped into the archives, listened to some of the tapes and the uh, interviews? A little bit. Uh, I went to some at the hideout, which we want to protect. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great place indeed. I think you uh, occasionally have a show there. Uh, occasionally I, I do, yes. Whatever, you, Tuesday? Uh, or uh, first Tuesday? Tuesday of the month. Thank you, sir. <laughs> okay. And you were my guest once on that yeah. show, yes. Well, they had a real good event, uh, kind of remembering Studs. Uh, you know, he was born in 1912 and really saw a lot in his long life. And um, uh, I was on his show. I, the first time was 1976. We were doing a statewide petition drive for mm-hmm. a binding referendum to end uh, the practice in Illinois of politicians collecting their entire salary on the first day of office. Mm-hmm. This had gone on for a century. So we got a petition and we ended that practice, got a law passed. And so I was on his show on WFMT. It used to be at 11 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. And then he took me out to lunch at Ricardo's afterwards. So well, you were really like this young time. whippersnapper. You're in yeah. your 20s, oh, yeah. and Studs Turkle took you out for lunch. I wish I could find a copy of that show because, um, in the course of doing the interview, he brought in uh, Broadway uh, tunes, all kinds of music. He had Fiorello, which was a musical about Fiorello uh, LaGuardia, mm-hmm. mayor of uh, New York long ago. And so it was just, he was uh, a master. He always studied everything, uh, well prepared. And then he had a great wit, and uh, he was a smart guy. Now, Pat, back then, you were, of course, a very...
very much a maverick. Uh, you, you can just imagine, folks, he's, he's getting signatures petition to, to take away the ability the politicians get paid up front, all right? Their entire annual <laughs> salary, okay? It's not a bad deal back yeah. when. Well, they would do that. They'd stampede over to the state treasurer's office after getting sworn in. Get that and money. And collect their entire year's salary in advance. And even if they went to jail, as some did, they kept all the money they took in advance. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, who's going to come get the money? <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then, of course, your next big referendum, which, uh, doing this from memory, would have been about f- three or four years later where you uh, petitioned to reduce the number of legislators right. in the General Cut Assembly. Cutback Amendment. Cutback yeah. Amendment. Uh, so, obviously, this did not uh, make you very popular no. with the powers that be in the Democratic Party. Or and, any party. In any party. Republicans, right. I yes. was an unbranded steer. That's what a maverick <laughs> is in Texas, uh, unbranded. Yeah. And, you know, we believe in uh, grassroots democracy strengthening voters. Uh, uh, that was then, and it's still now. Uh, you interviewed me last summer. We were out getting signatures well, for uh, term limits on the mayor of Chicago. Well, all right, so here we are, fast forward uh, all these years later, and we have a mayoral election today, uh, Lori Lightfoot versus Tony Perkwinkle. And uh, for the first time in my life, I want to say, well, maybe this isn't true. I'm about to say something. I'm, I, I'm about to say something, Pat, and I'm realizing maybe it's not true, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, it, it's like this is, it just seems as though a revolt against the Democratic machine. I don't even know what people know what they mean when they say Democratic machine, but it just seems as though uh, it, it's a, a, a negativity mm-hmm. in a way that it certainly hasn't been, let's put it this way, since 1989 when uh, Richard M. Daley uh, was elected in this special mm-hmm. election to fill out. So what's your thoughts about that? You started out against the machine. You fought yeah. The powers that be. I've never been a machine candidate, ever. Uh, And I believe in this whole power of petition and referendum, which the machine was always against. They didn't want voters voting on issues. You know, they wanted to only have a system set up where they picked the candidates. And, uh, you know, if you look at New York and Los Angeles and all the other big cities in the country, they all have a municipal initiative and referendum process, except Chicago. And that was because of machine politics. And I think we're going to break through that. Uh, It's something that I think is very necessary. We're going to get ethics reform in City Hall, if we're going to do things about affordable housing, if we're going to take on the whole issue of uh, making sure we have uh, public safety and criminal justice reform. All these issues, uh, if you look around the country, Ben, at both the uh, city level and the state level, voters are initiating reforms, putting them on the ballot directly, and it's led by progressives all over the country, uh, raising the minimum wage. That began in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Uh, $15 minimum wage 10 years ago it was a referendum. And so that's really where I'm working on these days. All right. Now, uh, at the risk of sounding jaded and cynical, I'm going to disagree with you and see what your response is. Uh, I've been very critical of this election. I feel that issues have been avoided in this election. I believe that these candidates have largely been... Um, uh, following the commands of whatever backroom strategists they have to avoid taking stands on issues. So you named some just right off the bat, like uh, affordable housing. Yeah. Uh, I don't see a position uh, from either candidate articulating how what he, uh, she will do uh, to promote more affordable housing, What, what how, where the money will come from. That's just one issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you disagree with me or agree with me that this well, campaign... Well, I would say the tenor of the campaign has been disappointing, but it began on the uh, election night of 
the first uh, runoff there, the beginning of the election, when, you know, the, Tony Preckwinkle was very negative, even though she is in the runoff, she was quite negative towards uh, Lori Lightfoot. And uh, I thought that set the tone, a bad tone. And, uh, you know, I've been in some tough elections myself for the other guy, the other candidate is, you know, just calling you every name in the book. You got to defend yourself, yeah. you know. And so it's turned into that a little bit. But I really feel that Lori Lightfoot has stood for fundamental reform in City Hall. I think that's why voters are going to elect her tonight, and that's why people voted for her today. I voted for her, and uh, I spoke to her yesterday, and I look forward not only to her ethics positions and cleaning up corruption, but also uh, reform of the tax system, the revenue system. Chicago relies way too much on fines and fees that aren't based on ability to pay. You know, the the uh, red light cameras and all that, and the way they do red light cameras is very unfair fair. So I think those things are really going to be front and center, including affordable housing, which mm-hmm. is a, a very key urban issue in this country, but especially here in Chicago. Uh, we've got to have an agenda. And if, you know, if we have an initiative process where people can petition their ideas on the ballot, uh, that's a more vibrant democracy and that'll make Chicago a better city. All right. Let's talk about the petition process. Let's talk about the referendum process. Uh, at the, you've been on the show several times, champion uh, your referendum, uh, giving the voters a, a, a say in whether they want to limit uh, the mayor to two terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, did Mayor Rahm resist that. And we <laughs> were just talking about this earlier in the show. We do not know. They've essentially impounded the vote, so right. we do not know the outcome. The matter came before voters in November's election. We in the city of Chicago had an opportunity to vote, bludgeoned by Pat Quinn. I voted with him. Uh, Thank you very much. (laughs) And your wife, by the way. Yes, my uh, wife. Millennium Park. She signed your petition and (laughs) voted for the right. All right. That's... uh, uh, all right, just update people on this. Yeah. This, this is just this a key is, issue. It's yeah. really uh, an issue of voting rights. Uh, you know, the mayor and his crowd, they didn't want a term limit referendum for the mayor mm-hmm. on the Chicago ballot last November. Uh, Chicago is the only big city of the 10 largest cities in America that doesn't have a two-year term or two-term limit on the mayor. New York does, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Houston, on and on. But Chicago doesn't. So the mayor said, well, we're going to keep that off the ballot by passing three advisory questions, and we're going to use the rule of three. You can only have three referendums on the city ballot, they said. And so when we came to file our petitions uh, on August 6th, we filed 87,000 some odd names, 355 names. We filed them, did everything according to the law, the Constitution of Illinois. Then the mayor and his crowd says, oh, no, you can't be on the ballot. And so the uh, judge said, allowed the question to be on the ballot on November 6th. The people voted. We know they voted overwhelmingly for term limits on the mayor, two-term limit. Uh, And now we're in court. And so we're in the appellate court of Illinois. And uh, we just filed a brief a couple weeks ago. The other side, the mayor's side, will file in a week or two. And then we'll have a decision from the appellate court to order the Board of Elections to re- uh, release the impounded results and certify the uh, election, the referendum results. And uh, hopefully that'll uh, coincide just about when the uh, new mayor is sworn into office on May uh, 20th. All right. Now let's just take it point by point. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. 
fascinating because uh, the old, the current mayor of the city of Chicago is a gentleman by the name of Rahm Emanuel. You may have mm-hmm. heard of him. A uh, good friend of yours, Pat Quinn, joking. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, he's still mad at you because you made fun of his basketball playing ability when you were on my oh. show. Last. I, this is a true story. I actually played basketball. Yeah. Uh, Dave Axelrod. Yeah. I'm Emmanuel, yeah. a guy named Forrest Claypool. Yeah, for your old we were friend. We my Forrest. brother's uh, high school, or my high school. We, I went to Fenwick High School. Yeah, Friars. So everybody had gone home. There were only four guys left, uh, four mentioned four, including me. And so Ram said, uh, we should play uh, two on two. Uh-huh. I mean, frankly, the best teams would have been me and him. But he, he said something else. Uh, he... Well, he wanted to be with Axelrod. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so it was Axelrod and him yeah. against me and Claypool. Uh-huh. Well, we won the game yeah. uh, several times, uh-huh. me and Claypool. Uh, but, you know, I was asked how Ron played basketball, and I said, he's, as a basketball player, he's an excellent ballet dancer. <laughs> I will never get tired of that anecdote. And uh, Ron heard it. He's so mad. He's known to hold a grudge. He's so mad. He goes, I'll let that so-and-so Quinn get on the ballot here's the deal though uh rom resisted for the obvious standpoint if you were victorious uh it could have prevented him from serving uh a term being third even term. third term which he was planning to do which he was planning to do i've often said that you're the fact that you filed so many signatures was one of the reasons that deterred him from running for a third well, term there's a very important reason because on the thursday before labor day mm-hmm. is when our signatures were verified that we had more than enough to qualify it for the November ballot. Then over the weekend, including Labor Day, um, his honor decided after looking at the number of signatures and the polling that he would decide not to run for a third term. So it really did have a key role in in, uh, making his uh, So here's the question for you. Why does he continue to resist your referendum. He decided he's not going to run. It yeah. doesn't affect him. He's not going to run for mayor of the city of Chicago yeah. again. And yet when you say, look, I presume it's his, the lawyers are representing him. Is that correct? Uh, well, they're representing the objectors. And who is who, the objector? Uh, a couple of uh, folks that aren't really well known at all. They were just, you know, So they found. get these names. Yeah. They say, right. might as well just get me or Dennis and put their names up Huey, there. Dewey, and Louie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the lawyer is Michael Casper. Am I correct about that? Yeah, he's Very prominent. the lawyer for Rahm Emanuel's side. And, you know, he, he doesn't want this uh, particular referendum to be canvassed and certified the results. And, so why uh, does Rahm, is it just grudge? He's still mad at you for doing this? It's really hard to figure because, you know, we should be empowering voters in this state, in this city, this county, all over America. Uh, 2020, the election is going to not only have a, a robust campaign for a president, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, we get the best uh, nominee we can to be Trump, but also uh, it's going to be, uh, I've gone to groups around the country, uh, more and more progressive groups are using the power of petition, initiative, and referendum to get their re- reforms out there and voted on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is uh, very healthy. It's what democracy is all about. Well, if people say one thing and they do another, Pat. We've, I've seen this my whole life following politics. Everybody, everybody comes in this show says, Ben, people should vote. You got to mm-hmm. vote, 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 empower voters. And here they are. But when, you know, when they don't like the direction the voters are going, suddenly they don't want to empower voters very well, much. Well, they try to pass laws to make it harder to, to vote. Uh, this happened in Georgia and Florida. In our petition drive, you know, we filed uh, far more than the minimum number of signatures. But then the Board of Elections said anybody who printed their signature we're going to throw that out 
you know that's definitely not the law the law says you can sign your name any way you want if you want to print it or you want to use cursive it's up to you and so there's all this kind of suppression going mm-hmm. on and in some states very conservative states that passed expanding medicaid last year in places like idaho and nebraska and uh, a couple other states these referendums passed the voters are for them even though they're so-called red states now the legislature in those states is trying to make it harder mm-hmm. to put in initiative referendums on the ballot. We can't let them get away with that. Uh, there's a great group in New York that's called the Brennan Center. It's named after William, William Brennan, Brenner. the great U.S. Supreme Court judge. And it's all about protecting voting rights, your right to vote, your right to pass petitions, sign petitions. This is uh, how our country began. Uh, we told King George, who'd been on the throne 59 years, we didn't want that kind of monarchy. We yeah. wanted something else. Well, maybe King Ram has a different attitude. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, even though it doesn't directly affect him, he's continuing to resist it. Uh, the Board of Election Commissioners allowed the uh, question to go on the ballot. Uh, I thought I, who knows what was, I'm not in the back rooms, but obviously they did not, they were not willing to take the brunt for knocking it off the ballot, at least get the people to have an opportunity to vote on it. Well, there's 25 cities in Illinois, including mm-hmm. Springfield, Naperville, uh, Des Plaines, Oak Lawn, suburbs, downstate communities that have already voted on this very referendum to limit the mayor to two terms. You know, it's the same as what the president has. And so uh, the Illinois Constitution is crystal clear that we have the right to a binding referendum if we get the necessary petition signatures. So they're trying every trick in the book to deny people not only the right to vote, we want, we got the, the referendum on the ballot and people voted, but now they're trying to deny the uh, final results. Yes. If the people vote yes, then we should have that law. That part, that's the part that irritates me even more than anything else. There's so much, the fact that they will not even let us see the results yeah, of this. Yeah. And they, they can argue, well, ultimately, Pat Quinn, we don't think uh, you have a right to uh, to have your, your, your question on the ballot because there were three other uh, non-binding matters. They could make that argument. They could make rule against you. You've, you've lost mm-hmm. in court before. But to pretend as though the voters didn't vote, pretend as though they didn't express an opinion to bury the results is so undemocratic, Pat. It's even beyond. They wanted our opinion on plastic straws. That was the advisory (laughs) referendum. And as you said on another occasion, you said, what's the next referendum? What color tie should the incumbent mayor wear next week? You know, there are a lot of nonsensical things. And, you know, we've got to really use our sharp elbows to knock down these barriers to passing petitions, to vote on referendums. You know, what happened to Stacey Abrams in Georgia, mm-hmm. and it also happened in Florida, where they were using all kinds of, really, in my opinion, unconstitutional and illegal ways to deny people a chance to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, taking away their registration because they hadn't voted in so many years. You know, that's just plain wrong. So uh, how have you prevailed in the uh, the various judicial uh, bodies up to now? Have you lost? Have you yeah, won? Yeah, we, we haven't prevailed up to now, but the appellate court is really the one in our county that said in Franklin Park and also said in Broadview that this right to vote on a binding referendum to have 
term limits on your mayor in your town, that's a fundamental right. And they protected the referendum. So you lost results. at the Board of Election Commissioners, and then right. you lost at well, the next level at the county. Yeah. You, you appealed to the Cook County the Circuit Court? Circuit Court. But that, I, I think the law is usually made as it has been already in our uh, county by the appellate court. And that's the court we're in now. We filed our brief. We laid out what the Constitutional Convention said in 1970. The whole idea of having this power to structure your local government and provide for your officers, uh, that was uh, set up in 1970 because they wanted voters to have mm. more opportunity to be a laboratory of democracy, to make changes that the politicians, the incumbents didn't want. All right, Pat, so uh, now you're waiting for the appellate. I remember the hearing, because I talked to you that day, mm. There was it was a conflict. I had to go for a Lincoln Yards TIF hearing, well, and uh, you know, there's a lot going on that Very particular important. day, yeah. uh, and uh, it was you, I forget who your colleague was, uh, you were Ed making- Mullen. Yeah, Ed, yeah. Ed is the uh, legal counsel tonight for uh, Lori Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. He's uh, we worked together on this case uh, to have a term limit referendum uh, results certified. Um, but you know, uh, it is a contest today. I voted yes for Lori Lightfoot, and she's for term limits for the mayor. Yeah, she's and already said she's only going to serve two. Right, good for her. And you know, President Obama said that. You know, two is two terms are enough. It's an exhausting job, and you know. Uh, uh, Tony Preckwinkle is not for term limits. I went to her right away at the beginning of our petition drive, and she said no. And then I said, well, it's a referendum. The people get to vote. Uh-huh. She said, well, I'm not for referendum. Well, I think Tony needs to open up uh, her mind a little bit to the power of citizen grassroots democracy. All right. By the way, I have to say this, Pat. Uh, I, if in my particular case, you're going to disagree with me, I would much rather have Barack Obama serving a third term than Donald Trump serving that first term. That's just yeah. me. Yeah, okay. but I, I completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Having said that, I wouldn't want Ronald Reagan for a third term. Uh, you know, I, So you got to kind of balance it a little bit. You there. know that Pat Quinn was a master debater down there at uh, Fenwick High. Those friars taught him a thing I did not have anything to do with debate. At at Fenwick, I was a cross-country runner. You were on the debate team? Of course not, no. I did not know. I would have thought for sure a guy like you would have been on the debate team. All right, that's Pat Quinn. I'm Ben Jarofsky. We'll be right back after this. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, 
take us home. Yeah, you hear that cool sound in the background? That's Pat Quinn. When he wasn't <laughs> running cross country at Fenwick, he was playing the piano. <laughs> no musical ability. I sing like water going out of a bathtub. <laughs> oh, the sounds of water going out of... Just put that in your mind, folks. Actually, that is not Pat Quinn. I don't know who that is. Dennis discovered that, and I love it. All right, T, before I go back to Pat, what you got for me, young man? All right, some updates before we roll out of here. It is election day. And uh, like I said, uh, right now, we wait for the results. Mm-hmm. But here's an update. Yeah, voter turnout's pretty low. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I kind of expected that, right? Yeah, well, they say empower the voters, and then, uh, you know, they don't really give us great issues. <laughs> <laughs> they try to tell us, don't vote, don't bother. Glass half full yeah. here on the Ben Jarofsky show today. But uh, we do have some uh, quick updates here. Oh, here we go. Uh, well, we were talking about this in the first hour. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders campaign manager, Faze Shakir, strongly denied any suggestion that anyone from the senator's team or his allies encouraged Lucy Flores to publish her account of an unwelcome interaction with Joe Biden. Here's a quote from the campaign. Neither the Bernie Sanders campaign nor anyone involved in it planted, planned, persuaded, cajoled, or otherwise urged Lucy Flores or anyone else to tell their story. Full stop, period. End of sentence. I don't want to hear it. We didn't play a role. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's the funny thing. That's how these uh, political battles go. First, there's, the, you know, uh, Lucy Flores came out. Uh, she, she wrote her own article. She stood by her story. Uh, it's a very powerful uh, indictment, uh, if you will, against uh, Joe Biden and his behavior. And then there's that, the follow-up. They're like, well, they they try to change the subject and make it look like Bernie Sanders did something. But by the way, maybe they did. So what? You know what I'm saying? It's politics to a certain degree. But uh, Pat Quinn, I've been watching politics for a long time. And that's generally, you know, there's that pivot uh, where, well, what role? I think Biden, This was it Biden? Help me out here, Pat. In 1988, was caught plagiarizing from a yeah. speech from a British. Neil Kinnock. Kinnock. Oh. Talk a couple of geeks right here, man. You guys. But then it turned out that there was another campaign that released it, and the other campaign, presidential campaign, got in trouble. Was it Dukakis's campaign? I can't remember. I just can't remember. That I can't remember. Neil Kinnock was some guy running for uh, prime minister mm -hmm. in uh, England, and he took almost his identical words. You know, as a great mayor once said, politics ain't beanbag. And uh, I think it's important for a presidential nominating race uh, to have robust competition. It didn't happen four years ago. Uh, Everything was arranged for Hillary. Uh, You know, the debates. I think in Iowa they had the big debate the night of the Iowa-Iowa State football game on a Saturday. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that just was uh, not the way to go. And I think it's important in this uh, uh, time, 2020 is election, you have so many candidates. You know, we know from the mayor's race, you know, when you have a dozen or more candidates, there's going to be a lot of ideas and uh, back and forth. And I think that's healthy. And, uh, you know, this is only beginning. Yeah. I, by the way, my memory serves me correctly. The strategist for Dukakis had a step down because yeah. it turned out he was the one who fed the New York Times the tapes or, yeah. you know, the, uh, anyway, but that's how politics goes. All right. Before I'm going to ask you some presidential campaign questions. Uh, mm-hmm. Pat Quinn. Uh, but before I do that, I just want to uh, f- uh, summarize where that lawsuit is. Again, I, I'm going my high horse on this mm-hmm. one. Whether you want uh, term limits or not, the voters voted. We should know 
what the results of that election were. The, the fact that they're concealing the election, they're using uh, Rob, it. they're suppressing the results. Their own words. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So you're at the appellate court level. You filed your appeal. There was an oral argument. No, it, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, the oh. other side has to file their brief. I see. Then we file a reply. Then there'll probably be oral argument on the case. The original oral argument was the circuit court. Circuit court Got yeah. it. Okay. So, you know, uh, basically the voters on November 6th, I think, voted overwhelmingly for a two-term limit for the mayor of Chicago. And I think if we win our case, which I think we will, and the Supreme or the appellate court rules in our favor, then the results will pertain to the new mayor, uh, two terms, whether it's Tony Preckwinkle or, I hope, Lori Lightfoot, mm-hmm. uh, who are, has already said she supports that for herself. And um, I think that's a healthy thing. Every candidate for mayor, as a matter of fact, in the first round, 13 out of 14 were for term limits on the mayor, except Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, Pat, I have to ask you a question. Uh, this, there was a story we played later or earlier in the show where um, you had uh, uh, protesters uh, protesting against Kim Fox for her role in the Jesse Smollett uh, case. Smollett, excuse me. And then you had protesters protesting the protesters. And uh, Nick Spazzato was out there. Jim L. Green was out there. Nick Spazzato, the alderman, was out there with the Fraternal Order Police. Jim L. Green was out there, uh, former mayoral candidate, with uh, the Kim Fox defenders. Uh, do you see any way that any elected official can sort of bridge that huge gap that exists uh, just in those counter-protesters, Fraternal Order Police on one side, uh, Kim Fox defenders on the other side? Well, I think the election today, and that's a good thing about democracy, elections are the opportunity for the people to call uh, the results, the shots, uh, whatever they want, the people. And I think the new mayor has a, a special opportunity to kind of bridge the gaps. Uh, this is a city that has many wealthy people and many, many poor people. And we've got to deal with inequality. And uh, I, that's where I'm committed to. When I was governor, I was able to get the earned income tax credit, which is a tax relief for working families in poverty. Uh, we were able to make that a much more generous one for the people, for the working people who are raising kids and, and are living check to check every month. And so I really think that's a big job for the mayor. I When I talked to Lori Lightfoot yesterday, I told her, I want to do anything I can to help you as mayor uh, move this city forward so that we're not fighting, 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 but rather uh, going forward on things that matter to folks who are the heart and soul of our city. And finally, the presidential campaign, is there anybody you favor in the early stages or are you undecided? Well, I haven't made any official uh, endorsement, but I do like uh, Kamala Harris a lot. Uh, she, I signed the bill to end the death penalty in Illinois, mm-hmm. and that was a long, hard battle, and we got it done. Uh, and she, running for president, is opposed to the death penalty and did that as uh, attorney general of uh, California. And before that, she was, uh, then she became U.S. senator from California. So I like that, and I also signed the bill for marriage equality in Illinois uh, before the Supreme Court acted. And uh, I think um, she was a leader in that movement in California. So, um, you know, we'll have to hear from all the candidates, but I think she definitely is somebody who should be listened to. I can't remember, Pat, and I probably asked you this before, I just cannot remember. Were you for Hillary or Bernie in 2016? I was not for Hillary. So you're for Bernie. I voted for Bernie. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I voted yeah. for Bernie too. Yeah. No. Uh, but uh, I would say in that election, that was that election. Yeah. Now you have many more candidates. So I, I'm not, you know, committed to 
what I did before. I understand. You know, running this I get you. In other words, it doesn't mean you're for Bernie. Because you voted for him in 2016 doesn't necessarily mean you can vote for him now. But do you see that fundamental uh, divide in the Democratic Party uh, this time around, as you saw in 2016? Yeah, I think there are economic issues that can band everybody together, whether it's decent health care for everybody, also the whole issue of making sure we have a fair tax system. Right now it's quite unfair and Trump made it even worse. And then also, you know, the best way to bring people together is called J-O-Bs, jobs. And uh, we need an economic development plan for everyday people in America. And that includes investing in infrastructure. So those are really issues that bring a lot of folks together. The best way to fight crime, the best way to keep people working together is uh, a job. All right, very good. That's Pat Quinn. He's been my guest, the former governor of Illinois, fighting to get that referendum, that term limit referendum, at least get the results out so we know we voted. Mm-hmm. We talk so much about vote, people, vote, your vote counts, every vote counts. They, then they impound the results, Pat. I can see them in the basement of the uh, <laughs> Board of Elections, you know, with oh. three or four security guards around the vault in case any voter yeah. actually finds out the results. You know. <laughs> Sorry, it's <laughs> off limits. File a freedom of information request. Well, I did. I did yeah, several did. times. Yeah. And they we, kept saying no. <laughs> wow. What's the argument they use? They for, say it's suppressed. It's suppressed. Yeah, they won't do anything until the court acts. So, you know, we'll see. freaking yeah. I really feel that the Freedom of Information Act, separate from any court case, as you've said several times in this wonderful program, <laughs> we have a right to know. Yes. You know, government secrecy is not the rule of the day. It should be the other way around. Absolutely. And they use that Freedom of Information Act so more uh, more often than not to keep us from knowing something. So it's actually a weapon. The, the thing that's supposed to provide access is the weapon they use uh, to deny access. Uh, very frustrating. Anyway, Pat Quinn, it's great to have you on uh, in the new environment. Like, what do you oh, think? Yeah, not a bad great. place. I huh? enjoy being here at the Sun-Times, and I really like the logo here, the Ben Jarofsky Show. Right. And I, I, it's short for any of the listeners, is it's the Ben Joe Show. <laughs> you know, so that's we got to make good... sure we listen to Ben Joe. Yeah, that's what my good friend Ricky Hendon used to call it all the time. <laughs> Ricky Hendon, my good friend. All right, Pat Quinn, I want to thank you very much. Uh, Tony Macaluso, who, uh, Macaluso, excuse me, from uh, the Studs Turco Archive. Uh, folks, you want any uh, history about Chicago, you want to hear the voices of the past, check out that archives. Maya was here earlier. She did a great job, of course. I'll be with Maya tonight at March Brewery in uh, Bridgeport uh, as the elections come in. Miles Porter, our ace editor, went three for nine this weekend. Three for nine. He's my By my count, he's batting uh, in the 400s. So he should be playing for the Cubs, not Roosevelt University. Cubs could <laughs> Cubs could have used you last nine miles, eight to nothing. I think the score six nope. errors, six, six errors. errors for the Pat, north side. Pat uh, Quinn, uh, White Sox fan, Miles. I'm just gonna tell you that well, right the now. White Sox had errors too. White Sox blew that <laughs> lead, Yomer man. Sanchez in in four games, it's committed two errors, yeah. costing us two games. Yeah, there you go. So he is a White Sox fan, uh, and uh, uh, of course the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, wheeling and dealing, the pride and joy of Alton, Alton, Illinois. You know what they say about you, D? What's that? The ladies all love you oh, for a body in your mind. Come on. But hey, uh, we got a, today's election day. Tomorrow, we're going to have all the results. We're going to be talking all about it. Who's on the program tomorrow? Ben? I cannot remember. You pull that one on me. Oh, Who's so, on the- sorry, so sorry. No, hey, whoever. Somebody good. Be, yeah, they better have some information. All right. No, yeah. we're going to be uh, covering all the election results tonight. Hang out with Ben and Maya at Mars Community Brewing, 3630 South Iron Street in Bridgeport. People, we have this election covered. All yes, right. indeed. All right, very good. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. <laughs> See you tomorrow, everybody.